here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Next out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> I like him. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In, like in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Cranch alongside, as always, uh, the most compelling voice and podcast, whatever. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? It's the most compelling voice in wrestling media, my friend. Um, do we have an ad read this week? We do have we an ad read. Our good, we have a brand new brand new sponsor on this week's show. Oh. All right, you got that all. Oh, I see it. Okay, it's on the sheet. As the production <laughs> this, meeting continues. Is this part of, the, this part of the, the show, or am I editing this part out? Well, I, you know what? You may as well just leave it in now, because <laughs> I wouldn't want you to botch my introduction a second time. Oh, that'd, which, be, that'd be embarrassing. Yeah. Which, I don't know. I'm kind of a... Yeah, I might not be the smartest man, Rich. But I get the feeling you're botching them on purpose. No, 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 no! I would never. No, I, I, I. It's a lot of pressure. To be honest, this time I was going to actually try to read a few of them, uh, but then I forgot to actually. Like I don't know them off the top of my head. You know them; they're your thing. I, 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 I hear I don't them. Know but, listeners know them, but you don't know them. Well, because they care, and I don't care. You know, it's, you don't care about my monikers. No, nah, not really. I care about this, you, but I don't care about your monikers. If that makes sense. This is a. Um, this is a team. We've been doing this for <laughs> six years. That's yeah. That's that is something. <laughs> We're we are quickly approaching that six year anniversary, which is just that's right. It'll be in uh, February. It'll be six years of this thing. I've talked to you. Um, I, I I have I, I I was a year into this podcast before I even met my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just a lot of life changes. God, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I I I was engaged, and um, then that ended. Then I was a man whore. Um, now I am happily coupled once again. A lot of life changes in those six years. You bought a house. I did. Got got a dog. Got an an additional dog. I I inherited a stepdog, and I purchased another dog. You did. I moved uh, three times in that. The four actually in that in that time span. Expecting a child. I mean, there's just so much going on. Oh, that is not true at all. That's not true. That is not true. No. Um, Will there be a? Unless, I mean, if we want to have a baby shower and you exclusively buy me, like, uh, Home Depot gift cards, then, yeah, then I am indeed having a child, so. Home Depot gift cards? What are you talking about? I'm just saying, if people want to, we'll have a baby shower for, you know, if people people that listen to this podcast are like, oh, my God, Rich is having a child. Like, I I have to give him some, you know, the traditional, oh, you're having a baby, so now here, let me shower you with crap for, you know, don't buy me, like, baby stuff, though. Buy me, like, house, you know, things I need around the house and that'll. I have no earthly idea what the fuck you're talking about. If (laughs) if your wife gets pregnant, you're not getting shit. What are you talking about? You're not having a baby, a man baby shower? What are you talking about? 
Joe, I'm, I'm trying to uh, lie to the listeners by telling them that I am having a child so that I get free stuff. Are you, are I don't you think anyone's going to want to give you free stuff. No, well, you know, you never know. I don't know. Listen. That'd be a big moment on the show. That's for like all when, about when, the when, weather. A child, when, a, when a voice wrestling child comes into the world, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. But the, 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 thing, the thing here, you're not getting anything. Guys don't get anything for that. No, I know, but, I want, but I'm saying instead of in lieu of baby gifts, just buy me, you know, buy stuff around that. A Home Depot gift card? Right, exactly, which I'll in turn use for the child, of course. Okay, but, you know, let me ask you a question. I'll build a crib with, you know, I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask I you a question. For, I, want you, you know. I want you to answer yeah. me honestly. Okay, yeah, go ahead. How many tools do you legitimately know how to use? Oh, I, I've actually, I've, in, in the year since I've owned this house, quite a few. Before that, nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. But no, I, I got a lot now. Yeah. With these tools. What was that? You're not faking it with the tools. No, no, I'm legit. Like I, I still, I'm like, I'm not great. I still need like some dads to come over every so often to, to uh, I'll, like, well, I'll always try something, and if it fucking fails and it's a miserable failure or whatever, I'll then call one of the two dads, and then one of the two dads will come over and kind of refine it and figure it out or whatever. But I'm getting there. I mean, it, it's, it, I got you know, two, I got tool two. I got a, a, a ratchet set I just bought a few weeks ago. I got like a sawzall that I just used yesterday. On a Christmas tree, like I, I, I know my way around Wait, the tools these was days. The nurse, was the nurse raised by a gay couple? What are you talking about? The two dads. I, I have a dad, and she has a dad. Oh, you it? meant her dad and your dad? Yes, right. When you said the two dads, I was like, I didn't know this information. I thought okay. maybe she was raised by two men. I don't know. No, I mean, that's that's perfectly fine if she was, but yeah, no, she was. Do you remember my two dads? That sitcom starring. Uh... <laughs> I don't. Was it on yeah, CBS? It was Paul Reiser and Greg Evagon, I believe. Oh, the- God, you couldn't pay me to watch that. That sounds but they weren't. No, but here's the thing. They weren't gay dads. It was okay. like now they would do that. But back right, like then, Modern Family Style or whatever, yeah. Exactly. This was like the late 80s, and Dick Butkus was in that show. He was the <laughs> – he was the – you know what he was? You know what he played? Was he the neighbor? Was he, he's got to be the he neighbor, He wasn't right? a neighbor. He was like a wise barkeep who lived like downstairs from their apartment and he would give the two dads very sage advice when they didn't know how to raise the daughter properly. You know what I'm saying? Were so like buds that were raising a daughter together. Like what was, they what were was buds the... who were raising the daughter together. Why would you do that? There were no gay that. undertones or anything. It was remember, this is like the late eighties. They wouldn't have like gone away though, with but I'm not raising you know, a kid with you. Like why, why are two dudes raising a, a kid? That would have been like too buds. salacious. No, they were just buds. I don't remember the whole premise. They yeah. may have been, you know what it was? I think, I think one of them, it might have been like similar to Full House, where one was a widow and the other was the brother-in-law, or something like that. But oh, he needed help, and he's like, "Here, well, no, no, I'll help, or what? I'll stay around to help, or whatever." Yeah, like one of those deals. If 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 Mikey Falcone's listening, he'll know the premise. <laughs> he'll know absolutely know the premise. Yeah, Mikey, Mike versus Philly uh, on Twitter, as many may know, he will absolutely know the premise of uh, of two dads. But my two dads, <laughs> but I don't. But you know who the daughter was? She was. She looks really familiar. I'm looking at these images right now. Um, she was from Step by Step. She was the hot daughter from Step by Step. Stacey Keenan, right? Yes, Stacey Keenan, yeah. correct. Yeah, and it great. was Paul Reiser and Greg Evagon, right? Were the dads. Um, I, I know Paul Reiser. I don't know who this guy is. He's got like a beard and a mullet. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Let's he go got a mullet and a beard. Yeah, very. There was a very late '80s look that he had going. No, on. he looked. Yeah. I mean, he looked like a beast. In the, I mean, I'm sure he he was doing quite well for himself he, in the late '80s. Like he was like the cool guy, Dad. Okay, you know? so there's there's this image right here, and it's like so Paul Reiser's wearing a suit and a tie, a very stuffy suit and a very generic right. tie, and 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 the other guy, I forgot what would you say his name was? I don't. Uh, Greg Evagon, I believe. Yeah, he, so he's he's got like the slick back mullet hair. 
He's wearing like a sport coat, but it's like a jazzy sport coat, and he's got chest hair hanging out. He's he's yes. down three buttons, like he's got the beard. You know, Paul Reiser's clean cut shaved, uses that Dollar Shave Club shave every single day. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then the other guys just saw, and then there's Buckus in the background, just kind of like smiling with his little Christmas sweater on or something. Here's the premise. You ready? I'm ready. Yeah. I'm gonna read it to you. Joey and Michael, who fought over the same woman 13 years ago, now have, upon their death, been awarded joint custody of her daughter, who might be either of theirs. So how do the men settle their problems? <laughs> oh, that is kind of salacious, though. With a paternity test? No way. Instead, <laughs> they all move in together and raise Nicole as a two-dad nuclear family. Under the watchful eye of family court judge, dad and daughter, adjust to their new situation so there you go yeah i forgot that the, the that there's this, this old there's this old crotchety female judge who's like also keeping an eye on them because she doesn't really trust the situation you know and uh like i said dick buckus is like the uh he's like the wise barkeep you know like they'll get advice from him but they don't want him to know they're soliciting you know what i mean they're like it's kind of like tim allen with the neighbor right where he, like, he doesn't ask for it but he needs it he you know, mean, like he's just well, in the back he, doing or, or he and, asks and, for it, but he's too proud to admit he's asking for it. So he right, tries to right, ask right, for it in right, a crafty right. way, you know? Yeah. So that's, there you go. That's my two dads. There you go. So, uh, that's so you never a, know where this show's going to go. You're no, really no. Know. It's got me on a little step-by-step wormhole too. I enjoyed that show quite a lot. Um, big fan of step-by-step. Uh, big fan of where do you rank Paul? One more here. Oh, go ahead. Where do you rank? We'll get to that, but I got, I got to ask you a question. Where do you rank Paul Reiser in your pantheon of neurotic <laughs> Jewish comics? Oh, wow. Um, Got to be below Seinfeld, right? You like the Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Seinfeld. Uh, I better than the my, Paul Reiser, right? Yeah, yeah, and I enjoy my Larry David as well. Um, what about uh, Larry David, I think, honestly, might be the funniest human I've ever seen. He's uh, just, I would I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, I, I have, in in my years, you know, watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, because initially I, I never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm in the first run or whatever when I was on HBO. So for a while, like, I used to be a huge Seinfeld guy. The more I watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, my enjoyment for Seinfeld kind of gets reduced. Not that Seinfeld's not good, but I'm like, oh man, Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's just that much better. Than Seinfeld, Curb is you know Seinfeld I mean? like, without the rain, without the like the network, you know. Yeah, exactly, it's like the yeah. unchained, the un, you know what what raw. Remember right. when raw was what it was uncooked, unchained, un, un you know, it was uncensored. It's raw. But it's not like it's not like Larry David overdoes it and just uses profanity for the no, sake no, of it, or yeah. uses sexual themes just because he can. It just it works in naturally. It's what Seinfeld would have been without those restraints, and it's it's yeah, I agree. Well, okay, okay. So we're putting Seinfeld ahead of Paul. We're putting Larry David number one. I guess, yeah, putting, I think we can. Yeah. We'll okay, so we agree on that. We're gonna put Jerry Seinfeld two. <laughs> Are we going Richard Lewis or Paul Reiser? Who's next? Hmm. Have you ever seen either man do the definition? What's the definition of neurotic Jewish comedy? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty self explanatory. Okay, all right, okay, okay. Just want to make sure. Um, well, who's eligible on this list, though? I'm just kind of before we well, jump I, you know, we'll get to that. I, I but first, know, we got to we, we have to slot these two men. <laughs> I don't know if I want to put them here, though. Well, well, no. Well, if we get someone else who beats them I out, see. we'll then get we can, them. Are we yeah, gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about wrestling. I, pro- I promise at some point. We got to slot these these Jewish comedians. Got bigger things to worry about here. Okay. Um, so Paul Reiser, Richard, I'm gonna go Paul Reiser over Richard Lewis. You go Paul Reiser over Richard Lewis. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I think that's a controversial choice, I, I, but I got to agree. You know, I like both men, but there's something about Paul Reiser's uh, uh, 
something about his uh, his it, it's it's kind of a wholesome kind. Com- he does a lot of like marriage comedy. Yeah, like Mad About You and stuff. Like I grew up watching yeah. Mad About You because my parents yeah. enjoyed it. So I always I always you know grew up. He, he does a lot of relationship comedy, and I'm into that. You know, I'm a man who settled down now, Rich. I can I can enjoy some relationship comedy. You know, um. I got to tell you, I'm all tapped out on neurotic Jew comedians. So we're going to, okay. So we've got Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, and uh, Richard Lewis. That's our order. I could probably think of more if I thought about it, but we weren't prepared yeah, for yeah. this topic. No, no, we weren't. Yeah. Next time, next week, we'll be more prepared for a neurotic. I think throughout um, the show, as I think of neurotic Jewish yeah, comedians. Yeah, feel free. We'll, 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 I'll jot those four down. Right. We've uh, got our order. little notebook or whatever. You right. can, you know, you got your notebook next to you. So you can. So I got my, I was got my notebook. Yeah. So, um, there we go. Would you consider Lewis Black a neurotic? Jewish That's well, that. That is one of the names I was looking at, and I was curious. But I don't think he. I, all right, I got two for you. But though. I don't think. I, but I don't think Lewis Black would go above that. I would probably put him behind because I enjoy Lewis Black, but I don't think he's don't maybe think he's above Richard Lewis. I, I'm not a he's, big Richard Lewis. Guy, I'll be honest. Lewis Black is more of a ranter. I think I wouldn't consider him neurotic. I How about, okay, yeah. I have a. I have a slam dunk. This man is without question a neurotic Jewish comedian. Where would you slot Gary Shandling? Okay, I was also slides. looking here. Um, I'm going to put Gary Shandling above Richard Lewis, so Richard Lewis is getting bumped down again. Okay. Um, I am going to mm, – man, the Paul Reiser, Gary Shandling, that's a, that's a tough one. Larry Sanders right show. Yeah, he, that's a tough – oh, that's like a that's – an underrated Gary like Shandling show. Madness. Yeah, that's like, so, like some 12 seed that you know is good. Like you know that team's yeah. good. It's just they played in a weird conference, but it doesn't matter because they got like one solid transfer recruit from Ohio State. Like that. that's what we got here. Um, man. I think I'm gonna go Paul Reiser over Gary Shandling, but that's a tough matchup. That's that's. A yeah, tough I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Shandling over Reiser. I think that uh, the underrated Gary Shandling show, which came before the Larry Sanders show, which a lot of people don't know about, very funny. Um, not I do not remember him fan. dying. I don't remember him dying at all. It's a no, he did. He died last year. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe that. There's no way that happened. When no, did he that did. Happen? He died last year. That's it. Had a heart attack. Yeah. No, no it's a big news story. Like how did how did just how did Jim Neighbors just die today? But Gary Shandling died a year ago. That's not yeah. no, it never happened. Jim no, Neighbors died five news. years ago, and Gary Shandling is still alive. I'm, I don't know where the hell you were because that was enormous news. <laughs> I, I just don't remember. Like I'm looking at it now, and I'm just like, oh, all right, I guess he's dead. Okay. Okay. I mean, we could uh, we could do Woody Allen. I mean, I'd put him last because yeah, well, he's fucking dead last. <laughs> fucking, he's a fucking so. creep. But, <laughs> yeah, let's, I put Woody dead last. No matter who else you name, uh, Woody is is behind them. So I don't really like his movies either, to be honest. No, they that. fucking suck. No, he's he's not funny at all. So, um, yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at so here. I, I, full disclosure: I'm looking at a list of uh, Jewish comedians right now. Okay. Um, so the that's neurotic, Rich. That's the problem. Is like I don't know that how many of these people I'd consider you know neurotic. Like, I don't know anything about Sid Caesar, so uh, I'll just skip Sid Caesar. You got Sarah Silverman. She's not neurotic. She's not a neurotic comedian. Um, Don Rickles. Is Don Rickles neurotic? No, no. He's a, yeah, he's a yeah. one-liner guy. Exactly, right. John Stewart, no. no. Political humor, yeah. Right. No. Joan Rivers, no. Oh, no, no. They're queen of the one-liners. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Billy Crystal, he, he, he borders on neurotic sometimes. Depends what the I movie give, is. I'll give you one. Andy Kindler. My Twitter nemesis, who I feuded famously <laughs> I don't know in 2015. <laughs> I forgot. About That's that. right. That nah, the most that's gotten to of all gotten to is Andy Kindler. Andy Kindler feuded with Joe Lanza on Twitter. Joe Lanza on the shoot account with his 500 followers, and Andy <laughs> Kindler has gotten to. The sad part about that is because uh, it's now all been deleted. I, I would love for people to be able to look up that because you know he apologized to me publicly to all of his followers and admitted he was wrong. So 
I probably shouldn't talk bad about him because we kind of buried that hatchet. Yeah, my new yeah, yeah, sure. my new celebrity enemy is David Simon. That's that's my new guy. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's feuded with half of wrestling Twitter, so that one's <laughs> quite a special as well. It's like, what but, are you, you, you know, anything else to do, buddy? Like you're not busy as well. No, um, he's busy getting into it with Bix and Joel. Yeah, it's... and uh, he had another one too, a wrestling Twitter feud. I can't remember who it was, but uh, yeah, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's a, a contender in there. Paul Rudd, I wouldn't consider him a comedian, and I wouldn't call, consider him neurotic. Okay, so all right, that's fine. Strike him from the record as well. Uh, what about an Andy Samberg? Andy, what about Andy Samberg, Seth Rogen? Neither would be Samberg for sure is not neurotic. I Seth Rogen, he's got some neurotic tendencies. That's, but, that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'll throw him. All right, you know what? I'll throw him in there. What do you think? Where are you slotting him? Oh, I'm I'm a big Seth Rogen guy, so that's gonna. I don't think he does stand up though. He hasn't done stand up in years. Yeah, oh, so is that like a stand? It's it's kind you of. We're doing stand up comedy. Oh, so okay, okay. Then, yes, that's gone. Okay, no, I'm, I'm just listing off like. God. Okay, all right, that's fine then. Um, Where are we putting Andy Kindler below uh, Woody Allen or ahead of Woody Allen? Mm, well, so anyone ahead. ahead of Woody Allen? Nobody right, is. So. Woody Allen's dead last. I, I pr- you can any name you bring up. Um, okay. I didn't like him before I learned what a gigantic creep he was. And well, I mean, you always kind of knew he was a creep. That's always the funny thing about him is that, you know, obviously what's going, what's going on now, it's like he's like the patron saint of like, yeah. dear God, you're a creep. <laughs> like, but this is not even rare. Like, everybody just being like, oh, Woody. And it's like, no, like, he's a fucking creepball. Like, why do we? But like I never liked this? his fucking movies anyway. That too. And they were fucking, they were terrible this movies. Thing, not I'm funny. not going to be one of these. All right, here's the thing about it I'm not going to be one of these phonies. I still think Louis C.K. is funny as hell despite the fact that he's a weird masturbating creep. Sure. But I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you I ever liked Woody Allen. Like, I'm not saying no, I don't like no, Woody no, Allen yeah. because he banged his daughter. I'm telling you I don't like Woody Allen because his fucking movies, I don't, I was never, I never liked his movies. I, you know, I, I don't know. I think his kind of peak predates us though. And maybe like if That's you're true, in your yeah. 50s yeah. or 60s, yeah. you're into Woody <laughs> Allen movies, but I, I can't get into that shit. Nah, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. You got to be a certain type of, of person, I think, to do that. Like, I don't think like, you my parents, I'm sure if I went, you're right. If I went to my parents, I think they would both like kind of give the thumbs down to Woody Allen, even, even though they're in that age group. But yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's a very, that's relationship humor too, though, right? It's only like... To an extent, yeah. But I guess the early relationship days. Pro wrestling, Joe. Wrestling exists. We got, we got to do some, okay. All right, wrestling. Yes, <laughs> wrestling. Uh, we got a lot of stuff. To I get could to. do this for three hours. No, honestly, I, I could break do. down these Jewish comedians. Media. I could... Whatever. I hope whatever Christmas episode is, it, it's just there's going to be a week because it's coming up, and we know like that Christmas week. There's just fucking nothing happens except for those New Japan shows with the snowfalls and Tanahashi or whatever. We'll talk about that show or whatever, but the rest, I think we just got to like talk about Action Zone, rank neurotic Jewish lawyers, like or comedians, lawyers. <laughs> neurotic <laughs> Jewish lawyers. I don't want to neuro- – listen, neurotic Jewish comedians are hilarious. Neurotic <laughs> Jewish lawyer, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, that's that ranking. That's that not what I want to me. I don't yeah. want a neurotic lawyer. <laughs> that's not going to work well for you. But no. uh, we'll do that for our Christmas episode. We'll, we'll do uh, three hours of just this – bullshit all the time because it's much more fun i mean I, I shouldn't i shouldn't say it. wrestling has been very fun this week this has been a fun week of pro wrestling oh no, we got listen that's the thing there's a lot of big things to cover here and we're talking about richard lewis <laughs> by the way uh one of the worst uh plastic surgeries ever richard lewis uh i did he have plastic surgery? i i would tend to think that new like you're watching the current the new career enthusiasm right i haven't started the new season yet no oh okay what well, just leave that in the back of your head then when you watch All right, the new season, we'll do. All right, right. it's like shockingly, it's like, oh wow, that's not good. Okay, it's, it's, it's like the weird where they just pull your face back one, 
and like your mouth oh, yeah. is weird and your eye and you're like that's why would you do that like you're whatever man like you're richard lewis he's got like 70 right that, that's what i mean it's just like just accept it man because it looks weird it's like that thing where like you don't have any wrinkles in your 70s so like your hair looks old your skin look but then your face is like this weird perfect symmetry and it's just like no that's not how you're kind of you know what i think 70 is when you have to accept some wrinkles you know you gotta just yeah he turned 70 this year so okay. yeah and I it think, looks yeah it's it's you'll, you'll see when you watch it it's i think I, what you said when you make a valid point if you're 70 and you don't have wrinkles that looks more fucked up than if you just naturally age right because his, his his hair is like super receding so it's like way back or whatever his like yeah. hands look all weird because well they don't look weird they look like what a 70 year old hands look like you know what i mean like they're kind of you know they're bony and there's veins everywhere, but then his face is like this like perfectly crisp thing and and like it's just yeah it just looks really weird and really bizarre you'll, you'll see when you when you see it his like eyes are like sunken and stuff it's just not a great not a great job by uh richard lewis he didn't need it you're richard lewis man like who cares like that's not like like sex isn't selling for richard lewis right it's not like he needs to go out there and be like i'm gorgeous everybody it's, no you're just richard lewis man. richard lewis's calling card was never that he was like slaying puss <laughs> right exactly like, right, he's, yeah. yeah he's not that's not his thing so um yeah it's a good point but listen he's got to feel good you know yeah whatever he feels good that's what's important to him because really he's the king of the of the jewish neurotic comedian so he's got a lot of neurotic issues so maybe it's make look maybe richard lewis just needs to feel good about himself you know yeah i'm not i'm not judging i'm just saying you know just saying you'll, you'll see when you see it but uh anyway let's get to the uh the pro wrestling here we got... i don't give okay. a shit if richard lewis okay. feels good but you're like um, you're being mr uh Ooh, we don't have some wrestling to do here. We're going to get in trouble if we keep going. I do. I do. I think we should do this, though, because these, these are our new new sponsor. Give them some new love. SeatGeek. And everybody knows we love our great sponsors here on the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. And we're very happy uh, to include SeatGeek in that stable of sponsors right now. Uh, and Joe, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, confusing, and frustrating. But thankfully, there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event whether you're searching for a last minute deal planning a night out or need the perfect gift SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed and now i've used SeatGeek a lot of times i don't know if you've ever used SeatGeek, but i really enjoy it um it's really the easiest way to find tickets to bulls white Sox, or any number of uh you know concerts going on in in the chicago area i've used it in san francisco as well i've used it in different cities uh that i've traveled to uh it saves time and money uh, it searches multiple ticket sites which is awesome it compares prices and it finds amazing deals uh they grade every ticket based on value uh it helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget all you really have to do uh, is go on there you kind of put hey you know i want to buy tickets for you know under 100 bucks or whatever then this little deal score thing it'll throw a green dot on on you know good deals a red dot on deals that are so so or whatever so you look for the green dots you go okay cool this ticket's you know normally 100 i'm getting it for 20 or whatever boom there you go so it's nice and easy it does that sources from a, def- uh, a number of different ticket sites so i, I really enjoy it i've really enjoyed it uh, using it so far, uh, and every purchase fully guaranteed, which is awesome. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with complete confidence. And since SeatGeek was in the giving mood this holiday season, they are giving Voice Wrestling flagship listeners twenty dollars off their first SeatGeek purchase. Twenty bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code VOW. That's promo code VOW. Download the SeatGeek app VOW, and that's twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. You cannot beat that. So. Uh, we welcome SeatGeek to the stable, and and I do actually enjoy their stuff. I, I've used it many, many times. Tried out, and yeah, it's the holidays, so you know, treat treat that special someone to a concert or a game or something like that. You know, Observer Hall of Fame. So <laughs> we're gonna have a real tough time talking wrestling today. This is I don't know. We're, why. <laughs> we're off the rails. This is bad. We should just re-record, but that's all right. We're gonna we're gonna yeah, push through. Is, we're gonna make it through. We're this gonna is make what it. the people want. The problem with the Observer Hall of Fame this year is, Rich. I don't know how you feel. 
There's really no hot takes to be had because I think this was so non. Oh, you're not ready for my Mark Lewin takes, so hold on a minute. <laughs> don't don't assume that you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the five inductees. You've got AJ Styles, Mark Lewin, Minoru Suzuki, Ben and Mike Sharp, and Pedro Morales. Um, there's a smattering of people here that I know we voted for. I voted for two of these inductees. You voted, I believe, for two as well. Uh, correct. Um, yeah, but we didn't vote for the same ones. Um, and the ones that I did not vote for. Uh, in this case, uh, Mark Lewin, I do not vote in his category. Um, I, I, I know, I think I know enough about Mark Lewin to know that I wouldn't have voted for him, but I'm not insulted that he got voted in or anything like that. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, who again, I do not vote for Minoru Suzuki, I don't but I, I do not find it egregious that he was elected though. And uh, Ben and Mike Sharp, who you did vote for, I did not vote for, and I have no problem with them getting in. Pedro Morales, who I voted for and you did not vote for, do you have a problem with Pedro Morales getting in? Oh, not at all. No, and Pedro's a guy that even in, in my discussions, my discussions with you, I, I mentioned as a guy that like I'm personally not voting for because I'm kind of I, I don't know if there was enough quite there, but no, I never would 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 argue with somebody that would would vote Pedro Morales or did any other their legwork on Pedro. So no, he's he's fine with me. He's absolutely fine with me. And 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 your point kind of stands is that there's really nobody on here. Really, the to me, the one that maybe I give a little bit of a side eye to is Minoru Suzuki. But even then, it's not like I'm like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. This whole thing is a mess. Like this observer needs to get changed. Like this Hall of Fame is a disaster. Like if he's the worst guy that you have, or to me, the worst that you have, and, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like it's totally justifiable why Minoru Suzuki's in there. I get why people voted in him. I get why reporters voted in him. I get why all that sort of happened. So it's like, yeah, it's not, there's not really that hot takey guy this year that it's like, oh God, this this whole thing's a disaster. This whole thing's a mess. It's just like, oh, those those guys are all pretty good. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Minoru Suzuki, when it comes to him, I mean, it, it, it's the kind of thing where even if I don't personally vote for somebody, it doesn't mean I can't understand the case. I just might not necessarily agree with the case. Right. Well, to me, it's the jump for him was kind of odd, is that because he, he was up 37% from last year. And that's just, I don't know what happened in this year that made Minoru Suzuki Nothing. that much better. So that, that's kind of always weird when, when you see those gigantic jumps. That, that sort of gives me a little He bit had of- a totally nondescript year in every way. He didn't even have a bad year. Like his bad year was the year before the second year of the Noah run where Noah just bottomed out was a bad year for Minoru Suzuki with an asterisk this past year, 2006, uh, I guess, you know, I guess it crosses over uh, part of 16 and part of 17 or whatever. But for the most, most of, you know, you're voting when do we It's due on what November 1st or something. Yeah, like somewhere that. First, first week of November. So really what's fresh in your mind is most of the current year, right? I mean, you're, you're dealing with like November, December of the previous year. And for an active guy who's still going, um, where you're adding new information is what I mean here. Um, the new information added from Minoru Suzuki was very nondescript. I mean, he was involved in the never title scene. I mean, there was nothing going on with the guy. Um, I guess. I mean, I, I suppose that 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 the Okada Suzuki match just had to be that. That's true. You know much what? For that's, people, yeah. I guess is that the that that has to be the smoking gun, then, right? I don't think so. I don't think that that match, as great as it was, um, would was good enough to result in a thirty seven percent bump. I think if you were going to vote for him, I think it did anyway. Maybe it had a, some something to do with it, but I I can't imagine that that match. Okay, it's not like that was the. It's not like it was the Okada Suzuki series, like the Okada Omega series, which could have made a big difference for somebody. It's just 
it was a really good match. I mean, yeah, it was one match, high and match and, in year list, but right, right. And he followed it up with a, a decent G one, but not like an amazing. Oh my god, like that. That's the best G one I've ever seen. And and he's had those in prior years or whatever. Those like amazing, you know, no doubt. Like that was the best performer. You know, that guy was the you know bell to bell one of the better performers of the G one. He had a few decent matches throughout the G one, but not enough that I would say, oh my god, like this guy's now it now it's it's settled that he has to be a hall of famer. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we are underrating the Okada match. I don't know. I I personally I'm kind of the same way, but I know there are a lot of people that that consider that match match of the year level and i know we've heard from people that said that that's probably going to be one of their you know top three matches of the year so i don't know maybe we're not giving that enough uh, enough credit i I don't know if that's it it's got to be there's got to be something though i don't know look i don't know what else to point to but i don't think i think it really takes a really special match to bump someone that much i mean a 37 percent increase is about as big as it gets I mean, you don't get a much bigger increase than 37%. I mean, is that even accurate? I mean, I, I didn't know. Yeah, no, I'm that. looking at Okay, so I'm actually looking at it, It's 25%. So whatever oh, okay. whatever that initial report was is, is, is not right. So. Oh, you know what it was? He was at 37% last year. Oh, up from, up okay, I see, I see now. Yeah, so we had 25% increase, which is still pretty good. Still but a huge not jump. as ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. Like, if you yeah, look at so, that, I mean, know, maybe Yuji Nagata in Japan. Uh, sorry, sorry not to interrupt, but like if, when you look at in, in Japan region, uh, Yuji Nagata, he went up 29%, but the caveat being that he needed to get to 50% to stay on the ballot. So that that was a big, like, hey, I don't want Yuji Nagata to fall off the ballot, so I'm going to vote on him type And thing. you know what? I think that's a thing now with the new rule because another guy you look at, look at Don Owen. He went from 32%, and, and look at his history, 35, 31, 29, 30, 33, 32, 50. <laughs> right. He jumps to dot. 50. I like that him and Yuji are 50 on the fucking dot. Like that's... With, the, with the threat of them being bumped off the ballot, people voted for them to keep them on the ballot. So that is going to have to be something we're going to have to look at for the future. And with that said, I think because of that, Junakiyama, who's already at 47%, he's a 15-50 guy next year. Don't ask me how because he only went on the ballot two years ago. I have no idea what Dave is doing or thinking or how that works. Um, yeah, but how was almost off the ballot? <laughs> like fucking Owen Hart was on the goddamn ballot for you know, Kurt Hennig just fell off now. Well, look, Junakiyama first went on the ballot. How old is he? Because he probably turned 35. Is he? Oh, t- <laughs> Dave. So yeah, he probably right. went I on forget, the ballot. Yeah. He probably went on the ballot in like 2005 or some shit or whatever the math works out. Right, because he's 46 right now, so he would have gotten on the ballot. Well, that doesn't make sense here. That's only 11 years. <laughs> Dave, that's when he turned 35. Or, so, or he how 35 many... so he turned 35 in 2004. So okay, so there it is. That's uh, he still shouldn't be off. That's 2019. I... <laughs> Joe, I don't know. All right, I don't know. According to Dave, this man is off the ballot next year if he doesn't get 50%. Why? We don't know. But being at 47% already, I think he's getting in next year. Because if you look at the bumps that that Yuji Nagata and Don Owen got, for example, um, and this is a guy who already gets support. I mean, he had 45% last year and 47% this year. So I think Junak Yama is getting in. Um, When you add in the fact that there's only two names being added to the ballot next year, and there's five names being removed because they were inducted. And then there's what? Another uh, three or four names being removed because of uh, they're being dropped from the ballot. It's a much leaner ballot next year because you've got Kurt Henning, Tim Woods, China, Pepper Gomez, Dick Hutton, and Sangre Chicana being dropped from the ballot. So that's what? That's six acts. Five acts got in. That's a, 11 acts going off, two acts coming on. 
That's a net loss of nine acts all the Right, which is what he wanted to do. That was kind of Dave's vision when he decided to do this rule and to get guys off and move people off or whatever, which, I, and again, I never argued with and you never argued with. I think it's fine. It's just now we're arguing kind of with why June is going now, but I don't think it's going to matter because I think he's going to get in, especially with that sort of kick in the ass of like, hey, if he, does, you know, if he doesn't get fit, he's out. or That will certainly help uh, June, and I think he, he'll no doubt get in this next year. He'll get over 50 easy. Um I think he'll get in, but there's no way he's getting booted for that. He's a, he only needs three percent. So, you know, with the jumps that we've seen, I, I don't imagine that. Right. Don, if Don Owen can defy what he's done for the last decade, then I think you know. <laughs> I was stunned when I saw the Don Owen total. I mean, I, I did, did, did. Here's my question though: Where were all these people before? If you thought Don Owen was a Hall of Famer, why the fuck were you voting for him? <laughs> I don't. I don't. He's understand. really up that resume in 2017, Don Owen. I tell you that that Portland territory is really. So, you know, so that's the nature of it. People follow the, the guideline, you know, they, they panic when they see the, uh, the guidelines with Minoru Suzuki, you know, I wasn't expecting him to get in. Um, I guess he's one of the surprises that they've talked about to extent, to an extent, a lot of these were surprises, uh, the ones that made it in. Um, I see uh, the big counter argument for Suzuki is, um, he, he took a big hit for the two year Noah run. I think that's a little bit unfair. Um, you know, the first match with, 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 uh, Marafuji drew 6,400 fans. Think about if Noah would do 6,400 fans today. I mean, that was only two like, years. Did they die for that? Yeah. I mean, give me a break. I mean, the feud was hot at first. The problem was it was a six month story arc and they ran it for two years. And um, I think it's a little unfair to pin it all on Suzuki because the, the first Marafuji match drew the second Marafuji match drew. It didn't draw as well as the first one. It was clearly heading downhill, but the second one drew too. It didn't really bottom out for Noah until Takashi Sagara did the heel turn and then they repeated the same storyline. They repeated the exact same storyline that they did with Minoru Suzuki with Takashi Sagara. And that's when the fans threw their hands and you can look at the attendance and that is the clear point oh, yeah. where fans well, it, gave it up. Was a, it, was a, it, it was a point for a lot of us, even, you know, not people that are attending in Japan or whatever, but I know personally from my standpoint, it was just like, fuck, all right, well, because you knew that whole same story was going to get played out now. Yes. You knew that like, oh, okay, this might be the end of that story. We might move on to the next thing. And they just said, ah, nah, fuck it. We're going to do it again. It reminded me so much of... Um, you know, WCW in, in January 1999 when they did the, obviously the, the Wolf Pack and the Black and White or whatever, the Nash wins the title, and then he just, you know, does the finger poke of doom and Hogan gets it back and they're like, oh, the NWO's back again. And it's just like, fuck off. All right, forget it. Yeah. And that's whenever, you know, it, the slow, you know, dissension of, of, of WCW happened. It was the same thing where it's like, if you give us what we've just had, there's always going to be that turnoff because it's like you get invested in the finality of a story. And then when the finality of the story is that that story is just going to get repeated with some few different actors or whatever, forget it. I'm done. And most people yeah, and, 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 you know, Marafuji won the title back from Suzuki in December. That was a nice little story. He loses it early in the year to the Invader, works his way back up all year, wins Global League, beats the Invader in December. Rich, that's your story. Yeah, okay? it's done. <laughs> and then a month later, a month later in January, not even a couple weeks later in January, they had him lose the title to Segura, who did the turn, and they repeated the story. And that's when it bottomed out. And when the attendance really bottomed out, Minoru Suzuki was working mid-card against Kiyomiya, putting over the new guy. You know, like not losing – when I say put over, he didn't, wasn't losing to him, but they, they put him in a feud with Minoru Suzuki to kind of give him credibility before he went on his excursion or whatever. And, and Minoru Suzuki was not involved in the main event scene when it really bottomed out. I'm not calling that a success by any means. All I'm saying is I think it's a little unfair that Minoru Suzuki gets beat up for that because his match is Drew. And, you know, it, it was declining towards the end of his run there, but it bottomed out after he was no longer in the main event scene. 
Um, but yeah, so anyway, he's in. Doesn't matter now. Um, obviously, uh, the voters did not hold that second note because he was he had had Noah runs before. Uh, but this latest Noah run was not held against him. AJ Styles, I think people probably want us to talk about him a little bit. Um, we both voted for him. He's another guy who jumped. He jumped um, uh, a massive percentage too, but we kind of saw that coming. That isn't as much of a shock as some of these other guys who jumped giant percentages, right? Um, he got 63% this year. I don't know what he had last year. On the sheet here, it says he was up 34% from the year before. Um, but I don't think he was on it last year. Didn't he get put back on? He was on it two years ago, and he dropped right. Off. Yeah, so so he, I don't even know um, if that number's accurate either. I think he no, had- yeah, I forgot when it was. Yeah, no, he was he was pretty low. I mean, he he was he was very low as well. So the thing I caught is from Squared Circle, so I should assume that it was wrong and bad or whatever. But uh, yeah, no, he he. I, I don't have exactly when he uh, was on the ballot initially. I think it was it was two thousand. It was two thousand thirteen and fifteen, I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, and he he didn't register much on there, so he gets. Uh, a year off the ballot, he comes back on six three percent enough to get him in. So yeah, because the I first the... time he was on, he was coming off the TNA run, and I believe that he got a literally zero votes. Um, then the second time, it was kind of like during the New Japan run, and he didn't get any traction either, you know, below ten percent or whatever, and fell off. Then he was off again for another year, and he was put back on this year. Um, I voted for him. You voted for him. He's one of the greatest professional wrestlers to ever step foot inside a ring. Um, I have no qualms saying that. And I think the other thing about him, which is icing on the cake for me, is he was a headliner everywhere he worked. TNA, New Japan, WWE, Ring of Honor, the four most prominent places he worked, he was a headliner. And, uh, you know, in, in, in look, in New Japan, he was a legitimate drawing star. In Ring of Honor, um, during that second, not the one while he was, you know, years ago, 2005, 10 years ago, but this more recent T- Ring of Honor run, uh, you know, during the New Japan run, he was a proven draw. He was a proven draw at the independent level in 2014, 2015. And now in WWE, he's a headliner. And, uh, you know, whatever that's worth in modern WWE, uh, he's a top guy. So not only did he headline everywhere he went, but in many of those places, he was a proven draw. And to me, that's just icing on the cake. You know, He may not necessarily be a, a Hall of Fame level draw, but he's a good enough draw where if you tack it on to the fact that he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And, and oh, by the way, you know, I, 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 would, I would say that he's historically significant. And you've got, what, a thousand indie wrestlers copying this guy. He's a very influential pro wrestler on top of that. So to me, it was easy to vote for AJ Styles this time around. So, Styles, I, I went back and looked at the data. Uh, this is actually from our good friend Chris Harrington, obviously, Mookie Ghana, the co-host of the you know, WrestleNomics podcast here on the Voice Wrestling Network. Uh, I don't doubt his data because it's Mookie Ghana, and you wouldn't ever doubt that. He has AJ at 2013, 0%. 2015, 0%. All right, so he never got a vote. Never got a vote. Imagine This guy never received <laughs> a vote previously, and he got 63% of the vote this year. What that tells you is, and as voters, we're guilty of it too, that WWE stamp of approval obviously means something to a lot of voters. Now, I don't know if that's um, – now, in your case, I know you were very vocal about, look, I think this guy is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but I want his career to breathe a little, correct? Isn't that your stance? Right, and that, that's my stance with all the current guys that are still kind of going or whatever. But So what? Cha- well, let me ask you then, what yeah, changed yeah. your mind this year? The fact that he's 40 years old and it's – I think a little bit of that. I think a little bit of just sort of looking at his entire career. Because I've always said that the guys that I feel like have, I don't want to vote like a, a Naito, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. 
I don't want to vote him because his story in my mind, I don't want to close a book on his career. To me, when you when you're voted in the Hall of Fame, you're essentially saying, okay, here's the story of this person. And now it's effectively kind of closed. Like they might do stuff afterwards or whatever, but you've essentially said, here's the resume, here's everything they've done. And, and this is what we're voting on. This is the pocket. This is it. This is right here. And a, a guy like a Naito who has not written that next chapter yet, there's still chapters to be written. There's still a story to be told. Kotobushi is very similar as well. Kotobushi, if I, I don't want to close the book on Kotobushi's career and say, yep, that was good. That's all said. And, and I mentioned that with Nakamura years ago as well. I thought he still had more stories to tell, more things to do in his career before I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, he's absolutely in. Even if I might think those guys are on the trajectory to be a Hall of Famers, even if I think they might be Hall of Famers, I don't like that idea. The more I looked at AJ Styles and the more I said, you know, if this guy, the, the old, if that guy retired tomorrow, is he a Hall of Famer? And it was like, yeah, he is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if AJ yeah. Styles decide, because and he sort of mentioned there's been those weird rumors that he's going to retire after the next WrestleMania or whatever. But like, if 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 AJ Styles in on some random house show blew his back out and never wrestled again, is he a Hall of Famer? And it's absolutely, it's a no question that he is. So it's like, well, what am I doing here? It, it's yeah. and and the other idea too is like he went to WWE. He did everything he could possibly, anything we could have possibly imagined AJ Styles to do. He did in WWE already. Yeah. There might be some other stuff that he does later. There might be some fun matches. There might be this or this. Hey, but look, he's, he, he's reached the mountaintop already, man. <laughs> like, you know what yes, I mean? It's, it's, look, he could be a bigger star. Sure. Oh, but, absolutely. But he's such a great worker that I think it makes up. The, the, the work portion of the criteria is so overwhelmingly good right? that all of that other stuff to me, even if it's not, you know, Hall of Fame on its uh, criteria on its own is like icing on the cake and adds to his case. Um, and I agree with you. If he retired today, he's a hall of famer, which is why I voted for him. And, and, I don't think, I and, and the other thing too is, a couple years ago. Yeah, no, no, no I'm, I'm with you. Cause if styles is say he blows his back out or whatever, he never wrestles again. Are we left with, Oh, what, what could have been with AJ? Oh, if AJ had just done X or, Oh man, he was on the path towards Y or, or like, we don't have those questions with AJ. Like if, if Naito blows his back out during, you know, the world tag, you know, during some random house show in the world tag league or whatever, we're going to say, Oh geez, like he was on his way to the wrestle kingdom thing. Like what could have happened this next year or whatever. So that's a guy that I don't feel comfortable voting, but if AJ styles just tomorrow, retired i don't know if i'm sitting here going oh geez joe like if he had just gotten to this because he he did everything you know what i mean like he's gonna add to that resume but the resume is there it's built it's it, he, he went to WWE, man <laughs> you know he played his cards yeah. perfectly went to WWE and was a top star in that company almost immediately and had great matches <laughs> you know one of the best overall years of any performer in WWE. you know in, in, in a single year he went there and did that he just fucking dominated and it's like even if he retires tomorrow i he's gonna bet Add to that resume most likely, but it's nothing that's going to overwhelmingly go. Okay, well now he's a Hall of Famer. I, I think there's nothing more in that future that's going to say, okay, well that's now he's no doubt a Hall of Famer. He's already done that. He's been to that top. And, and yeah, this is this is a guy who has three thousand hits already, and he plays five more years. It doesn't matter if he hits one eighty next year. It doesn't make a difference to me. Right. It's not going to, it's not going to, we, we, he's already kind of locked in there. And yeah, and he could hit yeah. you know three hundred three three twenty, and it's like oh, you know, another great year by this guy. But it's just like no, you're already yeah, it's it's. You've already locked it in. You're good to go. So that's really my case with, with AJ. And I really started thinking about it. And I kind of said, no, this, this guy's a Hall of Famer, man. So, so transitioning to the two controversial names that were added that everybody was scared to death were going to get voted in because Nakamura was voted in a couple years ago in a lot of people's opinions too early. I did not vote for Nakamura. You did not vote for Nakamura. I'm not as wound up about him getting in as some other people are, even though I didn't vote for him. But when people saw Tetsuya Naito and Kota Obushi's name on the ballot because they both just turned 35 or they just had their 15 year, whatever the wacky criteria Dave uses to put people on the ballot. 
a lot of people panicked and thought those guys were going to get in. The argument you just made for AJ, if he retired today, is he a Hall of Famer? And to me, it's a no-brainer, absolutely. Those guys are not. If those two guys retire today, they are not Hall of Famers, which is why I did not vote for them. Um, Tetsuya, Tetsuya Naito, and we'll get to Ibushi in a minute. I think he's a little different. But Tetsuya Naito, to me, is the definition, the prime, the best example yet of why these guys are getting on the ballot too early. Because he's literally went on the ballot two months before what is probably going to be the landmark year of his career. He hasn't even had his breakthrough year yet. 2018 is going to be, is probably going to be realistically the greatest year of Tetsuya Naito's career. He's going to win at Wrestle Kingdom. He's finally going to main event, presumably, many of the A shows, meaning Dominion, all the big building pay-per-views that Okada main evented this year. That, that it's going to be Naito's year next year. He's peaking at the right time. He's arguably the most popular wrestler in the company. They've peaked his push perfectly. This is you couldn't handpick a better time to put the title on the guy. He's going to beat an unstoppable champion, which is going to put him over tremendously by beating Okada, who has had this tremendous run. And part of the reason Okada was booked to have this tremendous run was so Naito could be the one to knock him off. And he's going to have really 2018 is poised to be his what what Okada's 2017 was for Okada is going to be what Naito's 2018 is for him. And he's on the ballot before any of that even happens. Think about this, Rich. Naito is on the Hall of Fame ballot before he has ever main evented his home promotion's biggest show. He's never main evented a Wrestle Kingdom. He hasn't even been the top guy in his own promotion. And he's on the Hall of Fame ballot. I mean, this is ridiculous that we're, that we're forced to vote or not vote for this guy. I mean, he's never been the ace of a promotion. How is he on the Hall of Fame ballot? I can make an argument that he didn't even belong on the thing, even though he turned 35, because he has no Hall of Fame resume yet. Right, and, and, and we said on our original show and our previews and everything, we've talked about it, that the trajectory is absolutely there. But like, it's just like you cannot do it before he's you have your big ascent. year. Right, you can't have it as you're on your way to the, to that point or whatever, and and you have to see how that goes through or whatever. I have no doubt in my mind that when it's all said and done, Naito will be a Hall of Famer, will be a Hall of Fame level, you, you know, contender. Like I, I feel like we'll have those arguments later. But why are we having those now? Why are, why are we, we discussing that now? now? It's, just, it's I mean, he, I, I, my, I do not think he should have been on the ballot. No, Dave should have I, d- decided on his own that that I, I, I know he's 35. I know whatever he's not. Yeah, but here's the thing: not everybody who's 35 automatically gets put on the ballot. He didn't right. need to be on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have put him on the ballot. Oh, we're talking about a guy. Yeah, the guy, one of the guys next year is going to be the same. Rich, let me ask you a question. How many times has Tetsuya Naito as a main eventer drawn 10,000 fans? I couldn't tell you. Probably zero. (laughs) Yeah, because he's never main eventer. No, I I mean, that's just a fact. Right, yeah. And and, and people, look, people are going to take this as me ripping on Naito. No, and we're not. Not understanding if you think that's what I'm doing. We're talking about, he doesn't have a Hall of Fame resume. The guy's been a main eventer for like a year and a half. And he hasn't even been the top guy in the company. He's 1B to the 1A. And he's only been in that position for less than two years. He's never drawn five figures as a main eventer. Listen, that's all going to change in two months. But at the time that he went on the ballot, that was a fact. You know, I'm not making it up. The one G1, this year's G1 final against Kenny Omega. But, we, but those tickets were sold before anyone knew what the match was. He has never drawn 10,000 fans. That's a fact. 
So, I mean, he shouldn't even be on the back. He is the exhibit A. And why are we putting people on this soon? Okay. He's a star. I'm not saying he's not a star. And, and by next year, he's going to have more. Look, he's going to have two and a half years on top. He's going to have a full year as an ace. He's going to have drawn uh, the biggest. It's on pace, at least, to be the biggest Tokyo Dome crowd in 12 years. It's going to be a big feather in his cap. He'll probably have a bunch of sellouts. I have no rich. Do you have any doubt he's going to do well? Oh no, he's going to do. He's going to do great. I think he's going to do tremendous. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they peaked him at the right time. He's already an enormous star. But just because you're an enormous star doesn't mean you're a Hall of Famer. This is a different level of star, and you need to have padded the resume a little. I mean, this guy was a mid Carter a year and a half ago before he went to Mexico. I mean, Rich, he was he was losing, you know, fourth from the bottom in tag match. They were doing nothing with him, and that wasn't that long ago in relation to a Hall of Fame argument. Now, Abushi, on the other hand, again, he's on way too early. I think he has a slightly beefier resume than Naito at this point because, you know, he has drawn, he has headlined and drawn five figures, and he he did so as, you know, in 2012 was the first time that he drew, you know, against Kenny Omega in DDT at Budokan Hall, uh, Budokan. I uh, know it wasn't Budokan. I forgot what building it was, but they drew, you know, 12,000. I'm, I'm sure it was Budokan. I'm almost positive it was Budokan. But. You know, for DDT and, and you know, he headlined some other shows for DDT. And, and obviously he's been a New Japan on and off headliner all this time. And he's been a headliner, a, a major show headliner for five or six years now compared to Naito, who's been a major show headliner for a year and a half. The other thing with Ibushi has over Naito is that he is a worldwide special attraction. He gets brought into things like the Cruiserweight Classic. He gets brought into uh, WrestleMania weekend in Dallas. And I don't have any doubt that he helped pop those record numbers for WWN Live and for Evolve and for Kaiju Big Battle. You know, he popped record numbers for, for, for you know, those companies. over. So he's like a worldwide attraction as well. And he has been. And really, he's been a worldwide attraction since what? Like 2007? People have been flying him in from overseas? Oh, pretty much. I mean, Chikara runs and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, he's always been that guy for, forever. I mean, uh, DJ yeah. Say, yeah, it goes, it goes way back. I mean, just. So, yeah. I mean, he's a little different. Now, to be fair, in doing my research for the Hall of Fame, I asked Gabe Sapolsky directly, privately, did Kota Ibushi affect Ring of Honor business in 2007 to any extent or Evolve business in 2000, what was it, Evolve 1, 2009? What year was that? 2009 or 2010? Um, yeah, I, 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 my head, I don't remember. One of the two, one of the two. And Gabe said no. He said he did not. He said, it, it, he said I think his exact words were not really or I don't know, it was negligible or whatever the fact. I do think Ibushi affected 2016 though. In Dallas, sure. I think there's and no question really about yeah. that. I think that was mm-hmm. a big deal, but I mean, I think he's a little different than Naito. Star for a little bit longer, worldwide attraction. Well, you know what's funny is you're mentioning this again, kind of to bring it back to Naito a little bit. Is that in February Naito is coming to America, and and I know firsthand from AEW in Chicago has booked him, and those tickets are going well. I mean, St. Louis Mike Logan's promotion has booked him, and those are doing well. And I know uh, Sammy Callahan's promotion has has booked him as well, and, and and things are doing well. But again, like that's in February. It's just like again, like he is gonna be that guy, but it's just like not yet. Like why is he on this fucking ballot? Yes. Like again, he's gonna build. That's gonna be another resume builder. Him coming to America exactly. and, and being a big is, deal, but with, like, he's building it next year, so let's not have him on right now. It's and this is the point I was ultimately going to make with Ibushi. With all of that said, he's not a fucking Hall of Famer yet. You know what I mean? And he has more of a resume than Naito has to this point. And if you're putting a gun to my head, I think Naito blows right past Ibushi in the next couple of years. 
Oh, after I think, in, I think in a few months. Yeah, I think in a few months he's going to. Yeah, after 2018, after 2019, Naito's going to have a much stronger resume than Kota Ibushi because Kota Ibushi just refuses to settle down. Now, if Kota Ibushi wants to settle down in New Japan or even DDT for that matter or somewhere and just be an ace, and let's see what happens then because I think he's capable, but Naito's going to blow right by him. But the point is it was way too soon for both of these guys. Um, and here's the thing. The voting reflected it. People's fears were unfounded. Naito had 16% of the vote. Abushi had 13%. I may have had them backwards. Was that oh, no, you, had him, you had him exactly, yeah. And, and the thing yeah. that I thought was interesting, too, is among reporters, historians, former wrestlers, current wrestlers, they don't show up at all in any of those. So it's not like reporters were 100% on the Naito bandwagon and it was the historians and the former. It wasn't. They don't show up in the top five of any of those categories. So they, yeah. they stayed, for the most part, pretty, uh, pretty out of it from everyone. Yeah, I mean, they're getting 10 Koji numbers. Tenkoji has been hovering. They got 13% this year. They've been in the teens the whole time. So, you know, the voters did a nice job there, I think. I think what the voters are saying are, Dave, these guys are not don't belong on the ballot. Let's wait five years. In five years, you can put these guys on the ballot. You know what I mean? They'll be 40 years old. They'll have five more years as headliners, and we can really see what kind of impact they had on the business. And we can really see – now, look, as workers, I think they're both phenomenal. I have no issue with them as workers. I prefer a Bushi slightly. But I mean, Naito had incredible. I think I gave Naito five. Uh, I'm sorry, three five star matches this year. <laughs> so it's like they're both incredible workers. Yeah. But oh, is just- one of my favorite of all time. I mean, like unquestioned, my you know top yeah. ten for me all time for. Cody but Bush. I mean, I don't put either one of them on an AJ Styles or Daniel Bryanson level of worker. I mean, I, I, I they're great, but I don't think they're that good. Um, you know, I I was never crazy about Naito uh, Naito's work until you know last couple of years. I mean, he was okay. He was a guy who was okay. But I never saw him as somebody who was elite. Um, you know, Abushi, yeah. I mean, you know, look, Abushi was a guy who was very repetitive in his work. I don't think he really rounded into the Abushi that we know until the last, what, four or five years, maybe? I mean, he, he was a guy who was flashy and, uh, you know. There was a while where you, you, if you saw one Kota Abushi match, you saw them all. The really the exactly. point for me was it was the El Generico feud. And that's like where he really, I thought, spread his wings yeah. a little bit and was like, okay, this guy's, you know, got. Yeah, so and about, five, yeah, on, about four or five years then. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And from that on, it's basically been, you know, I've really enjoyed his work from then. But there was a time, yeah, the, those early uh, early to mid-2000s where you'd saw a Kota Abushi match and it was just like, you know, <laughs> they were, they were there was some that really stood out. But for the most part, it was like, yeah, kind of seen one, you kind of seen them all. And, and that's 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 changed fun. a lot recently. I mean, the, you look at that Tanahashi yes. match, the most recent Tanahashi match. I mean, that that's if you showed that next to what 2007 or 2006 Kota, it's night and day between those two yeah. workers. What they're able to do, you know, what Kotobushi in 2017 could do, you know, versus and and what 2017 Kotobushi relied on versus what you know 2006, 2007, 2008 or whatever Kotobushi relied on, which was just like, hey, I do some crazy, you know, <laughs> fun stuff. But from bell to bell, and in terms of the story or whatever, a lot of it wasn't quite there. But it's gotten there, and it really has. And you know so. what? There's nothing wrong with that. Guys get better. In both right. of their cases, guys get better, which is why we don't put them on the Hall of Fame ballot now. <laughs> okay, you let them get better, you know? And, and so anyway, um, you know, good job by the voters. You know, it wouldn't even have been the worst thing if they fell off because you know they'll come back. I mean, if Naito would have gotten 9% this year and fell off, you'd know he's coming back next year or the year after. Right. You when know what I mean? So it's more proper, and then he'll he'll dominate. He'll, he'll do AJ Styles-type runs <laughs> where, where yeah. yeah. So, okay, we got, uh, let's see. So Pedro Morales, 
Uh, the thing about Pedro, I am a Pedro voter. I always have been. Um, I haven't read any of Dave's uh, write-up. Did he do write-ups for these guys yet, or just uh, I'm not sure yet. To be honest, I I, uh, I didn't have a ton of time to, so I just kind of looked at the numbers and the percentages. Yeah. Or whatever. I think he did brief write-ups, but not really like the deep, deep like bios or whatever. I think just a okay. little bit of like you know, here's where they ranked in history, and we're gonna get to that here in a little bit. I'm gonna kind of run that down, but no, I don't think he went into like the giant bios quite yet. So that that'll come okay. Up. So forgive me if I get some of this wrong. It's only 40 year old information, but um, what really <laughs> me on Pedro Morales is I I know for a short time he not only held the indoor gate record in North America but I think he broke that record like four successive times with four straight main events which to me is super impressive and again it's it's judging people in the context of their era right I mean if it's if it's like you know it's it's um maybe you know to use a sports analogy uh you know I, I don't even know a, a good one to go with, but um, you know, look, if this guy held the indoor gate, uh, if, if this guy held four consecutive indoor gate records uh, in his day, I mean, I can't hold it against him. If his $90,000, if his, you know, uh, $300,000 gate or whatever is dwarfed by one of today's WrestleManias, that's not fair. You have to judge him in the context of his time. So, um, and I also think that he's either the number one or number two, in terms of percentage of sellouts in Madison Square Garden, he has sold out by percentage more Madison Square Garden shows than even Bruno San Martino. Yeah, so actually, this is Dave has this right up here. So he actually does okay. a pretty decent amount uh, in this uh, this week's ever about those guys. So he's a Pedro Morales 75 is best known for his three year run as WWF champion from 1971 to 73, where he sold out Madison Square Garden 21 times in 30 title matches, the highest sellout percentage of any major star in the history of the arena, except for superstar Billy Graham. So there you go. Joe's one for one. What else we got? Uh, let's see. Morales was also the first wrestler to hold the WWF IC WWF tag team titles. That really doesn't matter all that much. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, in those days, to be fair, to hold all. Yeah, three that's days. a big deal. No, I mean that's that's a huge deal. Um, yeah, I don't think yeah nothing else really in terms. Of, okay, yeah, Morales broke the gate record uh, March fifteenth, nineteen seventy one. His next defense beating Blackjack Mulligan. Uh, Morales monsoon challenge for the tag team titles against Luke Graham and Tarzan Tyler uh, was the first indoor one hundred thousand dollar gate ever in the U.S. And October Morales broke the record again, hitting one hundred four thousand for a sold out title offense against Stan Stasiak. He broke that record with Freddie Blassie. So yeah, uh, the most famous match against, of course, everybody knows this one, the September thirtieth, nineteen seventy two against uh, San Martino uh, in Shea Stadium, one hundred forty thousand right there as well. But the fourth biggest gate in U.S. history. Yeah, so he broke. You you talk really fast, but I, I think he broke yes. the, the indoor gate record three consecutive shows, and mm-hmm. then the outdoor show was the fourth biggest gate in you in North America. United States, States history. Yeah, is, right. is so. The, I mean, come on, that's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty good. This, yeah, this is why I voted for the guy. I mean, to me, he was an overwhelmingly good draw for three years. I mean, that he was a Hall of Fame level draw for three years, and it's like. If, if, if Goldberg would have given me two or three more years, I'd be voting for Goldberg too. You know what I mean? But the other thing about Morales is he's, again, he's got a little bit of padding on the resume too. Did some things in LA, did some things in Puerto Rico, not at the level that he did in New York, but it's extra padding. You know what I mean? And a guy like Goldberg, he's only got what? Was it a year or, or nine months or how long was it for Goldberg? Where I mean, really was? that, yeah. You're looking at, God, I mean... He, he came up, you know, in late 97, but I don't really know if I count much of that. If you really start counting when he was a difference maker, it's April 98 to, you know, December 98, really. I mean, yeah, he still had some impact, maybe a little bit in 99, but not much. I mean, let's I mean, give him a By that point, year. he was done. And then, yeah. Let's it, call it a full, even if you, you call, call it a full year. year. Go ahead. Yeah, but that's. It, it, it's one year and it, and there's nothing else there because he, well, okay, I, I'm sorry. He had this most, most recent current, run. The most recent run, yeah. So he got a year yeah, and then like a few months with this most recent thing. A year and three matches. 
right? One of which was a battle royal. Okay, so look, it's like to me, there's a fine line there. I think Pedro's a Hall of Famer. I don't think Goldberg is. I, you know, and and Pedro Morales had an entire you know 25 year, 30 year career too on top of that. So, um, yeah, that's why I voted for Pedro Morales. Uh, who else we got here? Did we cover everybody? Uh, let's see. Oh, Ben and Mike Sharp. Okay. So I didn't vote for them, but you did. Now, here's the thing. If you consider them hugely influential to Japanese pro wrestling and for also setting the template of the foreign heels, um, then they were an easy choice, and that's why you voted for them, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Doing, doing a little bit more research, writing or, or reading some more stuff, it, it was kind of more evident to me that that's how important they were. So that is, and, and to me, that's a big deal. I mean, the the, the modern gaijin, the modern heel, you know, <laughs> invader gaijin is a big deal in Japan. It's really set the stage for for what Japanese wrestling has been from that point forward and what it still is even today. I mean, we still see wrinkles of that in their storytelling today. So yeah, for me, the more I was reading about it, the more I was looking at their history, the more I was reading from, you know, quotes from people at the time. And uh, Chris Charlton's book did a great job of doing it too. And, and, and everyone, if you ever read anything about the history of Japanese wrestling, those guys keep popping up and they keep being an important part of it. And, and the more you learn about it and the more you see it, it's just like yeah these dudes i mean that that's influence right there i mean they have influenced decades upon decades of japanese wrestling just you know so yeah whether you know it was going to happen at some point if there was going to be an american that was going to come over and do it whatever these guys were the, the the trendsetters and the trendsetters get the credit so you know they to me do it and 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 it's it's interesting because they finished um first among former wrestlers this year which i thought was pretty interesting as well so you have a lot of former wrestlers that for whatever reason get what their impact is and understand what their impact is. And that's what really propped it up. I mean, you have 15th among uh, reporters for the Sharps, uh, 22nd among historians, 26th among current wrestlers, but first among former wrestlers. I just found that very interesting. So obviously yeah. they know something, you know what I mean? Like it's not like they all got yeah. together and t- there's something where they see that name and they go, yeah, these dudes are a big deal. And, and I, I, you know, I take former wrestlers and, and what they think about their peers very seriously. And I think that for them to be, to grade out that well with, with former wrestlers is a huge thing. And, and yeah, it's just like the more you read, the more you kind of study, it's like, yeah, these dudes are, are, are so influential to everything that we, what, what modern Japanese wrestling is or what Japanese wrestling ever, you know what I mean? Like the entire template of Japanese wrestling in a lot of ways was developed by these guys. So I think they, they deserve a lot of credit. Mark Lewin. I saw, um, some of his stuff, you know, Purple Haze and some of the stuff from Florida and some of the stuff where he was doing sort of the late career, um, like psycho gimmicks, but really, and then, you know, he got in on the back of the Australia stuff. Really, that was the region he was placed in anyway. Uh, the old, the original WCW, uh, Jim Barnett WCW, I think he was the booker for a good deal of that time too. That was a real hot territory. So I guess it doesn't hurt if you're booking one of the hottest territories in the world for a number of years. Um, I don't have a ton more to add on him. Um, I, you know, what's crazy is there's a lot of footage of that Australia stuff floating around YouTube and stuff like that. There was a night a couple of years ago where I got, uh, bogged down in a, in a wormhole and there was old black and white Australia footage that I was getting into one night. And I saw a lot out of Mark Lewin, which was weird to see him as a younger man after just seeing him as like this 50 year old guy, you know, work in the early starcades, you know, or work in, uh, Florida or whatever. And, and, and doing, you know, gimmick heavy work. Um, you know, he certainly to me, uh, didn't have a hall of fame level career in the United States. Um, and you know, I am obviously based on my couple hours of watching Australia footage in 2014. I'm not, um, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the foremost, foremost authority expert, <laughs> on old WCW, uh, Australia stuff. So I'm just going to stay off of this one. I think it's important. Um, you know, 
when you're talking about um, you know pro wrestling or or music or something that's uh, an entertainment uh, um, uh, area of entertainment that's so vast like pro wrestling or the way music. If you don't know about something, just don't talk about it. You know what I mean? It, you, it's okay to say I don't know. And Rich, that's the extent <laughs> yeah. of my Mark Lewin knowledge. You know, and 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 I from the readings I did on him and things like that, I considered over the years voting in this category, but I never have. I've always abstained. He never struck me as a guy I would vote for, but who knows if I dug deeper, maybe I would have. Doesn't matter now. Uh, as far as Mark Lewin, uh, 17th uh, among reporters, 22nd among current wrestlers. Uh, and this is pretty interesting, though. Second among historians and second among former wrestlers. So former wrestlers really into the sharps. And Mark Lewin. Yeah, the fucking old people voted for him. So <laughs> right? they know more about him than we would. you know. So I, I'm going to have to trust their judgment. Again, I don't have a big issue with uh, with with the people who were voted in, even if I didn't vote for all of them. Now, as far as the people who weren't voted in, and then we'll move on to another topic. Again, nobody from Mexico. What is your no. take on that? And what is the <laughs> problem? Because I'm, you know, I got to tell you something. You know, a lot of the lucha voters are getting fed up, and you know, they're they're, they're mad at Dave, and they're mad at the voters, and <laughs> why aren't they mad at themselves? I mean, I, that's I always say that. Like, don't get mad at me. I don't vote for it. I don't get involved in it for this very reason. I don't want to go. Oh, L.A. Park, he's cool, and click him, and then not vote for the missionaries of death or whatever. Okay, you know what but I mean? so let me I ask you. Do, like, do yeah. you think that's what's happening? I think. Here's what I think. I think that there's no question that some people look at the ballot and they just look up and down. They do not read the criteria. They do not read how it's supposed to work by just picking your regions you're familiar with. They look for names. They know they put two minutes of thought into it right. and they check off 10 names and they send the thing back to Dave. And then if two of those names are Vampiro and, and Sian Karas, the rest of the group gets fucked. I am not doubting that that occurs. Here is what I'm doubting. Whether that occurs enough to where it's causing these guys not to get in. I don't know if that's the case because I look at a guy like Vampiro and what did he have? Like 16 total votes or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Some, somewhere in that range. Yeah. I forgot exactly what his percent was, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't high at all. The only way he's preventing anyone to get in is if all 16 of those people didn't vote for anyone else. Right. Is that plausible? Maybe. But I don't know. I just find it dubious. I think a big – now, listen. I think that's part of the problem without question. Do I think that Colt Cabana, for example – I don't know why I'm picking on Colt Cabana. <laughs> Poor Colt, yeah. Is just checking off L.A. Park and calling it a day. I'm sure that's happening in some cases. But I think it's more of a case of it is a loaded ballot. There are a ton of people. It, it seems as though all the experts that we listen to, everyone is worthy with the exception of Vampiro. And all of these Lucha voters are just voting for different people. Yeah, it's like that's, 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 I think, what exactly what it was. So our, our good friend Lucha Blog, at Lucha Blog on Twitter, he, uh, he was doing some analysis here. Uh, you can find it on his, uh, his Twitter feed as well. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, reporters and historians are voting for lots of Lucha candidates, but don't agree on the same ones. Current and former wrestlers completely disagree on which Lucha candidates are worthy. And everybody likes UG, but not enough. UG being Ultimo Guerrero. So this thing is reporters and historians are voting for a lot, but don't agree. Current and former can't possibly agree on anybody, and then a lot of people like Ultimo Guerrero, but not enough vote for him at the same time. So yeah, it's just like you know, get together, guys. I don't know, man. Like I don't know what to tell you. It, There's it, about 160 total Lucha voters this year because I think <laughs> what was Vampiro's percentage? Uh, I don't Do have, have that. Let me, let me, I, I just closed the window to be honest. I have last. I have year's it. Hold on, I got it. Yeah, I got, I got it. Got last it. year he had 13. percent I do know that, and has kind of hovered around that 13 to 16 percent for quite a few years now. 
Yeah, I think that um, there's roughly 150 to 160 Lucha voters. It's not like some of these other categories. Like you remember Europe sometimes would have like 50 voters, right? So if you have one or two rogue ballots, it could really kill a candidate. Someone who's close. Right, yeah, Mark Lewin had 84 votes, and he got in in that region. So that, that just shows you the difference. And AJ Styles got 205 in, in his region. So Right, so you have 160 voters. I'm, I'm not sure that the one dope who shouldn't have a vote because they don't pay attention and they don't take it seriously is just voting for you know whoever and screwing everybody else. I'm not sure that that has – you would need a lot of voters doing that. And I, I, I don't know if, if we're seeing that. It would be nice if Dave would answer these questions. It would be nice if we can say to Dave, hey, Dave, of the Lucha voters, how many of them voted for one candidate? If he could give us a number, that might help clear something like this up. But we're never getting that information out of Dave. In fact, why don't we send him that email? Yeah, let's do it. Just so it goes unanswered and we can feel good about it. Because I know he's not going to answer us. But we should ask Dave, Dave, out of the Lucha, the Lucha pool, how many of the Lucha voters voted for one candidate because I would find that pretty silly based on how strong everybody says this category is. If you're voting for one Lucha candidate, you probably don't know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And like people like even on our own staff, Joe Gagne, who voted in this category, I think he voted for like six or eight or something like it's like he voted for eight. Yeah. It's enough. And everybody that votes in Mexico is like voting for like nine guys. Four or five. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so everybody that we talk to is like, no, I'm voting for everybody. So there has to be, you know what I mean? Like there's just has to be a bunch of people voting one guy or two guys or whatever and, and, and dragging everybody else down. It's, it's gotta be what it is. I mean, they can't possibly disagree this much on every single person. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's perplexing, but it continues to be frustrating, but I, and I get it for those people there, but a lot of people take it out on, like you said, take it out on Dave or take it out on like people like you and I. And it's like, I, I don't vote in Lucha, man. Like, or they're like, oh, well you should vote. Cause then these guys are going to get in. But it's like, no, I, I don't know what I'm doing. What do you mean? I don't you know what I'm do? doing. Like, you want me to vote for the missionaries? Well, then I'm not going to vote for, you know, uh, Sin Caris or whatever. You know, like, I, if I don't vote for, if like, if you tell me I should vote for one of these guys because I should and because I'm pressured to doing it, I'm then reducing votes for other guys that should go in because I'm not going to know this region enough to properly vote on it. So all I'd be doing is you telling me, vote for this guy or vote for that guy or whatever. And then I'm contributing to the problem. So I just don't vote. And I let the I don't, I don't even think. It, so. I don't even think the issue, is, I mean, a lot, they're getting a lot of support. They're just barely missing. Yeah. So I think these Lucha voters just need to get their act together and, and vote for the same people. I mean, if you want to get some of these guys in, I mean, um, you know, what, what, it, what is with the missing 3% for these, uh, you know, Los Missionaries? I mean, you know, who's not voting? You, you got to get, you got to convert those voters. You know, you're screaming into the wind, complaining to everybody else. You know what I mean? It's like rally your own troops at this point, you know? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's just it's just a, 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 a very thick ballot. I think that is the issue more than anything else. Uh, let's see. So uh, other notables. How Trish Stratus do? Let's see. Uh, yeah, not good. Think no, I'm good. Play. No, that's that's fine. I'm, I'm Bring that up. But, but yeah, th- th- here, one sec. Trish Stratus, 13%. You said she was the worst, one of the worst ever. I think she is arguably the worst candidate ever on the ballot, yes. Well, China uh, had only 10%. Who I said yeah. was worse than her. Well, so China is certainly a candidate as <laughs> the worst candidate I did, to ever I be on the ballot. I can't believe we're doing this, Trisha. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it again. All I was saying is I don't think she's one of the worst candidates ever, but I was glad to see that she only got 13 because I, I had a weird same fear. percentage as Kota Abushi, by the way. Right, exactly. So there you go. Kota Abushi and Trisha. Which, by the way, is insane. Equal, equal, equal. There it is. The people have spoken, Joe. Trisha is Kota Abushi equal. Uh, yeah. 
And Kota Bushi has roughly 10 billion the resume that Trish Stratus. I mean, it's not even close. Um, I'm with you, but I said it was going to be higher than you thought. Remember that? I told you. You, you were well, like, it's not oh. higher than I thought. I mean, it's. No, you did. You said she was one of the worst ever. There's people that have gotten way less than she I was. think she's one of the worst candidates ever. Okay. I can't control the voting patterns of people who, you know, screw this thing up yearly. I mean, I'd love to know who voted for her, and I would yeah, love to be, know the reason. That'd be fascinating to find out. Yeah. We, if we should... anyone's listening who voted for her, <laughs> please let us know. Yeah. Like, legitimately, send me an email and tell me why. I would love to know why. Anyone on earth would vote for Trish Stratus. I mean, it was just as baffling that China got 10% last year and didn't get booted off the ballot. It's just baffling to me. Um, other notables, uh, Edge, 49%. He's probably getting it at some point, right? Uh, yeah, I think Edge is, is due in a few years. I think now, it's going to take a little guys. while. Yeah, it's going to take him a, a little while, but I think he's when you get to that 49% threshold, you're, you're right up against 50 or whatever. It, it, it's going to happen. If you look at the climb, too, it's been a steady climb for him as of late, too. So I, I think sooner rather than later, he's getting in. And, and like you said, maybe the you know, few people dropping off the ballot, the bunch of new people coming in, or you know, a bunch of people getting dropped off, a bunch of people going in, the ballot's going to get smaller and a guy like an edge is going to is going to get increased you, you know and that's just going to happen when you look at this u.s because the u.s is not going to have a lot i mean you're adding rick martell and that's it and you're dropping you know aj styles obviously is going in kurt hennig is being dropped you know a few other guys are, are yeah. going to be moved in the next few years so i just going to sit there you know and, and it's like well you know <laughs> do i vote for, edge? Vote for somebody yeah, i mean vote gonna, for if you want to vote for somebody you're going to uh, so I, I think he's going to definitely increase in the people's next. natural inclination is not to vote for no one they're going to pick a name um, seven non-wrestlers got 50% or more. So I think we're going to see some of them go in. Gary Hart, Jimmy Hart, Howard Finkel, Bill Apter, Don Owen, Jerry Jarrett, and Jim Crockett Sr. All at 50% or higher. So some of those guys are going in. So uh, Eugene Agata had a big jump to 50. Do you think you can get the other 10%? I don't uh, vote for him. I never yeah, will vote for him. I think Eugene's there because they, nobody wanted him to drop off, but I don't. I think he's one of those guys that they just wanted him to be safe. But I, I don't know if he's ever going to get over that threshold. I mean, that that was a monumental jump to get him up to <laughs> just to get to him right at 50%. So, no, I, I, I think he's probably on, not going to happen. But Next year, you already mentioned Rick Martell and Kenny Omega. Rich, <laughs> are you ready to assess no. Kenny Omega as a Hall of Famer? No. I mean, do you even want to have to think about no. it? Do you even want to have to think about it? He's got like a... <laughs> Like half a decade in front of him of like, of cons- uh, no, no, I'm not. This is another guy. <laughs> no, I don't want to have this discussion again next year. The biggest year of his career will probably be next year. What are we doing? <laughs> but again, but here's the thing. He'll have that year behind him by the time he's up on the ballot. So unlike Naito, it's like a timing thing, right? Because it's like Naito's big year was in front of him. Kenny Omega's big year is going to happen before we vote for him. So if Kenny Omega, let's say Kenny Omega beats Naito at new beginning and he gets all the main events in new Japan and he has a big year and him and the bucks draw, draw 15,000 fans on their little rogue show they're doing next year. And Kenny Omega is the headliner for that show. And he draws 15,000 to an independent show in the United States. And he breaks a ring of honor attendance record at WrestleMania weekend. And he does all these great things in New Japan. Can't you see people voting for him come November? Oh, sure. Yeah, and I think he'd have a he'd have a a, a relatively decent case. I mean, again, like you're saying again with that hypothetical, which is like things are happening in the year before yes. he's on the ballot or whatever, which makes all the sense in the world versus the things happening after whatever. I agree that like he hasn't quite reached that 
peak yet. And like, there's a lot of things that you mentioned there that have to go right and have to work out or whatever. But yes, if every one of those scenarios happens, then yes. But again, he's a guy who's absolutely on the trajectory. Do I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. But I don't want to talk about it next year. He is not, he's got so much year and so much time out of him. Like you said, if he retires right this second, you voting for him? No, no. Yeah, despite him being one of my favorite, you know, of all time, and a guy that I absolutely love, and I think he's just incredible. But no, he's not. He's he's, not a Hall of Famer today. No, he hasn't told the whole story of his career. (laughs) The whole whole story is not done. We need that Kotobushi. If it Kotobushi, until we see that, I'm not voting any of these in the Hall of Fame. Probably a good segue. We could jump right to this Bucks and Cody show, right? As we move on from, you got anything else in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, let me uh, real quickly, guys. uh, Other receiving 50 to 59 percent of the vote, just kind of give you an idea where some people were. The missionaries of death, uh, 57 percent, and the Lucha guys that are right up against there. Uh, Gary Hart, 55 percent. Jimmy Hart, 54 percent. How Jimmy Hart is still not in? I don't know. 54 percent. Howard Finkel, little uh, little rise from a man. Howard, he's at 54. Bill After jumps up to 52. Uh, Eugene Agata at 50. Ultimo Guerrero at 50. Volano three at 50. Johnny Saint 50. Jim Crockett Sr. at 50, uh, Don Owen, as mentioned before, at 50, and Jerry Jarrett at 50. Other notable guys, Edge, just below the 50 threshold at, at 49, as you said. Uh, Sean Caris at 49, L.A. Park at 49. This one blew me away, Joe, and I, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson with J.J. Dillon, 45%. Yeah, I mean, what? they were th- <laughs> that for like two and a half years. If you're doing it by the letter of the law. With J.J. Dillon. It says yes. with J.J. Dillon right. on there. <laughs> so they were only together for like two years or whatever it was. Um, and you can't even count the brain buster run. <laughs> with J.J. Dillon. It says with J.J. Dillon. So, and even know. if you count, like, I mean, they weren't the, they weren't, no. I mean, come on. They just weren't a Hall of <laughs> Fame. Ridiculous. They weren't a Hall of Fame level team. A great team, but they're not a Hall of Fame level team. I mean, and they weren't together long enough to, you can't say, look, they didn't have 15 years worth of match of the year caliber matches they didn't have 15 years of of drawing 20,000 fans they were together two years it's ridiculous I don't know what people are thinking I think when it comes to these teams sometimes I mean people are voting because they like Arn Anderson or you know they like Tully Blanchard yeah and I do too I or, agree but with the letter of the law with Blanchard and Anderson with J. it's the same thing with the Kojima Tenzan we say it all the time yeah. you separate those two and I probably would vote I'd be more likely to vote for them individually than as a team or whatever and it's the same thing yes. here I would be more likely to vote for Tully or Arn particularly Arn if they were just by themselves but if it's Blanchard and Arn with JJ Dillon no and no no universe would I ever vote for those guys that's insane it's no, just nuts 45 percent 45 it's it's they have more Sergeant Slaughter has 41 percent <laughs> you're telling me yeah, <laughs> Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson with J.J. Dillon. 40, it, it boggles my mind. But uh, you, you, Wagner, can, you can you can argue <laughs> like like Slaughter and Cronodal are just as good. That's what I mean. Like what, as a like team. If, if they are forty five, if they as a team are forty five percent, then the Usos are like no doubt Hall of Famers right now. You know what I mean? Like, and that's not. I'm like I'm not. I'm being kind of ridiculous, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, Bills are a team. They've been a team for ten years. Like these guys were a team for two years. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Unbelievable. Uh, Dr. Wagner Jr., 45. Sergeant Slaughter, 41. Uh, Kurt Hennig, 39. So he falls off the ballot. Hayabusa, 37. Uh, and then Goldberg in his first year, 30%. So we kind of were, I was a little interested in how Goldberg was going to get that WWE bump and see if he would really uh, jump up. He got okay, but still not enough. So people are yeah, still he's never he's never getting in. And no. um, Hayabusa and Shima were added last year, both struggling in that 30% range still. So um, th- I wouldn't call them dead in the water. Um, but they've got some traction to make up and, um, you know, Shima, at least, you know, Hayabusa obviously passed away. He's not going to add to the resume, but, uh, Shima is still adding to it at least still wrestling at a high level. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. 
Uh, and then just a little quick, here's the top five among the various groups. Uh, reporters, Minoru Suzuki, number one, Pedro Morales, number two. Uh, AJ Styles, number three, Jim Crockett Sr. and Edge round out the reporters. Historians, number one was Gary Hart. Uh, number two was Mark Lewin. Number three, Don Owen. Number four, Carl Off Lagarde. Uh, and number five, Howard Finkel. As far as former wrestlers, we mentioned the one and two was Martin, Mike and Ben Sharp. Uh, Mark Lewin, also former wrestlers, Kurt Hennig, number three wrestlers i just said remember how i just said that i enjoyed wrestlers opinions and i value them number four blanchard and anderson with jj dylan what are you doing former wrestlers get your head out of your asses sorry that's cta joe uh and then fujiwara uh number five for former wrestlers so i i, I retract my earlier statement about me caring about former wrestlers opinions now i don't care anymore but uh current wrestlers dr wagner jr number one jim crockett senior number two against current wrestlers that's pretty funny there uh yuji nagata number three among current wrestlers i thought that was kind of funny as well Mm, current wrestlers Blanchard Anderson with JJ Dillon number four and then current wrestlers number five LA Park confirming that Colt Cabana just put Dr. Wagner and LA Park on his ballot and sent it in so there you go I, I, yeah, we're I assume that Colt Cabana is every current wrestler and that's what he yes. did and then mm-hmm. other guys said oh Tully Blanchard he's cool oh Art Anderson he's awesome great spine buster yeah I'm putting him in like so current wrestlers you're stupid except for Eugene Nagata that's a pretty good pick but other than that all right that's the Observer Hall of Fame. So let's get into All In, Joe. I guess that's the, the branding that we're going to go with here for a little while. Bucks and Cody go all in. And now on Monday evening, this is Monday of this week, uh, Processing Sheets, Ryan Sadden, your, your good friend TMZ guy, uh, reported that Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks are planning on imposing a project in, I, I don't know if that was the correct word that he wanted to do here, uh, 2018, an independent super show on the scale of a major WWE event. Uh, just as a little note here, no non-WWE pro wrestling promotion has drawn 10,000 fans in the United States since WCW closed in 2001. Uh, a lot of the impetus of this was just kind of a random conversation that Dave was having, uh, Dave Meltzer was having with some random Twitter guy talking about, hey, would you know, do you think the Bucks and Cody could get 10,000 or whatever? And if they did a show or whatever, we, we've kind of talked about that too. Who I really thought that after the global wars that those dudes could go on their own and just kind of do their own show and do a rogue thing well apparently they've they've kind of listened to what a lot of people have said and, and decided hey we can do this and uh, cody rhodes uh responded to dave and said um i think dave said something like oh i wouldn't bet on it if they're getting over ten thousand or whatever uh well cody rhodes responded i'll take that bet dave i already gave them their biggest buy rate there being you know roh uh put the bucks and i on the card and three months to promote and we will break that ten thousand mark so uh, what do you think about this? So we don't know exactly what it's going to happen. They've sort of been scouting different places. I know Chicago's been mentioned as one. A few other, different other locations uh, have sort of been mentioned as, as possible spots to do this 10,000-seat show. We saw some pictures of the Bucks and Scroll uh, just kind of in an empty arena, you know, saying they were doing some scouting. What do you think about this? Is there a realistic chance that the Bucks, Cody, and, and, and friends, whoever it may be, do they have a chance at getting 10,000 people to come to a wrestling show promoted by themselves, kind of on their own? Yes. I yes, agree. Chance. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's a lock that they're going to do it, but I think that there's smart, savvy people behind this. I think that, um, I think that a lot of fans will want to go to help them do it. They have very rabid fans, the young bucks and the bullet club. Um, and I think those fans will be into the idea of being part of something, of being part of something that's rejecting the mainstream. Right. Bingo. That that's kind of and, put a note on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to that in a little bit. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's as big of a draw as anything that they can do in terms of booking talent is just playing us against the world. Mm-hmm. And let's show the world something. Let's show WWE something. Um, and let's do this. And then, of course, 
Kenny Omega is a red hot star. And as we saw in Chicago and, you know, I, it's, it's very obvious that in the right market, I mean, you know, you put him on top and he can sell four or 5,000 tickets minimum himself. So you're, you know, you're halfway home. Which he did in Chicago. <laughs> That's like people right. can lie and, and say, oh no, or I don't know. I like, he did. They announced him and that fucking thing sold out in, in, in seconds. Like I barely got my tickets for that show and I was in the fifth row. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, I had to get on there the moment they got sold and, and within a few hours they were completely gone. Or if there were yeah, any tickets and left, they the were scant thing. random tickets in random corners that they might have opened up later. I mean, that thing, they said Kenny Omega's coming. We have nothing else announced. Kenny Omega will be here, and that thing sold out. Their biggest venue that ROH has run in the Chicago area, one of the biggest venues they've ever run, sold out in, in the snap of a fingers by them announcing Kenny Omega. So you can, you can come up with whatever random scenario you want. It happened, and we've seen it. There's the example. And a huge market, too. And I think Dave made a good point, and that's only because, you know, the, who knows how many more he could have sold. But they ran out of seats. Oh, and we said that so, too. When, we're, when we walked into that arena, me and my buddies, I was looking around and a few of mine that, that follow kind of the, the, the business of wrestling or whatever, we're looking and we're like, dude, they, they could have really done it. <laughs> like, it was, it was, this was not nearly enough for them. They could have easily done more if they wanted to. Easily could have put another 2,000 yeah. in there if they wanted to. So, I mean, they've, they've got a book Omega and you'd think that they would and there's no reason that Kenny wouldn't work it and they're probably going to do it in between Japan tours and everything else and the Bucks are obviously big draws. But here, here's the other thing too. Uh, you know, on top of, you know, the us against the world factor uh, as a way to rally fans, which I think honestly is the, is the most important facet of this and getting Omega, you have to have Omega too. Uh, but the other thing to me is indie wrestlers are going to be tripping over themselves to get on this show. They're going to be able to book whoever the fuck they want because it's going to be a hot show to get on. It's going to have a lot of attention. And if you, people are going to want to be a part of that. So they're not going to have trouble they're going to be able to cherry pick and book whoever they want for this thing. So they're going to get the cream of the crop, which is important too. But, you know, it really doesn't matter. You know, I don't even think they necessarily have to do a super loaded show. I think if you get Omega and you convince people that this is a way to send a statement, uh, it's a corporate television wrestling and all those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Maybe you book a new Japan name or two that can't hurt. You know what I mean? Oh, I think that'd be a great idea. I'd grab a, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, your top, top, top guys, but it could be one of those guys. It could be a, yeah, it could be, yeah, or, you know, or a Naito you your, or whatever. Yeah. That's it. You get your red hot brand new champion Naito to show up. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. You get, you know, Okada to show up, maybe whoever, you know, you don't gotta bring them all in, but you know, you get one or two of those guys on top of that. And, you know, we'll see who, you know, who else becomes available and cut from WWE. You know, maybe, maybe that's Neville's first big appearance. You never know. You know, it's like well, the point there's here, a few guys that might be coming free later. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, and, well, there's, a, there's a guy that, that you know, could, could be a big and deal. They will, and they will know who to book. They're smart guys. Okay. They've, you know, they, they know what they're doing and, and they know what to do here and, and they'll promote it well. Is this a kick in the balls to Ring of Honor, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, <laughs> in a way, yeah, sort of. I mean, but here's the thing. initial thing was he, he CC'd Ring of Honor of saying like, hey, yes. let's do this. And obviously they didn't really jump at it. So he's decided, well, fuck it. I'll do it on my own. Which again, and I said after the Global Wars, these guys can do it on their own if they want to. If Ring of Honor is not yeah. going to get them off their ass, if Ring of Honor, which to, again, we're not getting mad at Ring of Honor. We're not, I'm not criticizing them. Ring of Honor is very comfortable in their little spot. They enjoy being what they are right now. 
and they might pop up a few houses here and there, and they might do pretty well here and there, but they're good. They're not going to really try to shake up the wrestling world. They're just happy being Sinclair TV property Ring of Honor, which is totally fine. These guys are, are going for much more, and that's you, you mentioned the anti-establishment, anti-WWE, anti-TV wrestling. Or that's, that's all they have to do here for this show to get people rabid about this because there is, whether you want to believe it or not, there is a group of people, a large group of people that are clamoring for something that's not WWE. And that might be new Japan or whatever, but there might be the language barrier. There might be the time barrier. There might be the, I don't know any, but there are a large amount of people that find these guys very much that alternative. The, I don't, you know, I'm sick of WWE. I watch it, but I don't really like it. And these guys come at you with, Hey, we're different. We're actually cool. We have cool t-shirts. It's cool to like us. You know, we're, we're, we're approachable dudes. We're like, we've talked about it a lot in terms of the bullet club's power and, and the power of the elite and the bucks and Cody and, and the, the being the elite YouTube series or whatever. I think that it, regardless of who they book, and I think it's going to be important who they book to an extent, but I think you can do well just by saying, Hey, look, we're going to try to, to, to shatter every thought, every preconceived notion on this show. We are gonna dis- we're gonna prove that you can do it without WWE. That there is an alternative to this company. That whether you know, whether you're sick of this or whatever, it, it, it's kind of you know in a, in a way it's a little bit of what like every company was kind of trying to do in the '90s and every independent was doing it in the early 2000s or whatever the anti. But they've really honed in on a different market and, and doing it in a different way where it's it's come look at it. I mean, we are gonna be an alternative. We are gonna bring power to the wrestlers that's not controlled by Vince McMahon. It's a company that's not controlled. You know what I mean? And that's an important thing. And I think it's a big thing. And people are really, really sleeping on how important that is and how important that has been in, in fueling the Bucks and fueling Cody and, and fueling those guys' growth is that those guys are proving that you can do it without WWE. And that's that's the thing that a lot of people latch onto. A lot of people enjoy that. A lot of people like the underground guys trying to kind of make it or whatever. And they're going to want to be there for that moment when they make it. And this is that make it moment. If they put 10,000 people in whatever arena, there's going to be people that are going to want to go there, like you said, to be in that moment, to say, hey, we all got together and we stuck it to WWE. There's, we got on their radar. We showed them that you can do it without being in WWE. Yeah, and and there's there's been times in history where WWE was the cool promotion. They're not the cool promotion right now, not even right. close. There's nothing cool about Roman Reigns. There's nothing cool about Braun Strowman dying in a garbage truck. Uh, there's nothing cool about more McMahon family hijinks at the top of the card. There's nothing cool about Jinder Mahal. They're not the cool promotion right now. So it's a perfect time to sort of go counterculture and uh, go against the grain. What do you think of the idea that you book a 12,000 seat college basketball arena, you scream from the rooftops that you're going all in and we're going to draw 10, 10K? And then you draw 7,000 and it's viewed as a failure. When in reality, drawing 7,000 fans would be an enormous success. But do you think they're setting themselves up for failure by setting the goal too high? Because if you tell people you're doing 10K Mm -hmm. and you book a 12,000 seat arena and you draw 6,500 fans, I'm sorry, but that's going to be viewed as a failure. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, rightfully so, really, because you've set up the expectations that we can do this, that bet on us we'll do it you know what i mean cody is is, is sticking his neck out there and saying no bet on it we're gonna do it you, you know what i mean like that so i yeah they are gonna be seen as a failure in a lot of ways when they, you know necessarily that shouldn't be but they've sort of set that standard and i think to me i i like that they've done that because again they've kind of given everybody a benchmark you know what i'm saying like yeah. then it then there's that 
there's an extra little bit of pressure to everybody, to the fans, because the fans are going to feel invested in this too. That's again, that's the thing that we, we talk about with the bull club. We talk about with 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 the elite. We talk about with New Japan and USA or whatever. People feel invested in those companies. Those companies have have done enough. Those people have done enough to to harbor good you know goodwill from people to think that they're in this ride with them. Whether that's the new work or whatever, if that's a work, it is because they're fucking pro wrestlers at the end of the day, and they don't really care about you because they're you know. But but still, they've they've proven that that or they've at least given the idea that you're with us. We're all in this together fighting the man. It's us versus them. And that's, that's cool. And they've done a great job of cultivating that. And that's, that's going to really propel this a lot. So I think it, them saying 10,000 and, and getting that in their head and saying, we are going to go for it. We're going to do it. I think it's ballsy. It's ambitious. It could blow up in their face, but I think it's going to be an important part of selling it. Cause I think there's going to be that sort of not necessarily guilt. Guilt's not the right word, but this idea of like, Hey, we're at 8,000 tickets come on, let's do this, guys. You know what I mean? Like, be very transparent about it. Be like, hey, look, we need 500 more tickets and we can show WWE that we're here or whatever. Yeah. I so think I think that- in a way, it's, it's it's good and bad. It sets a benchmark which could fail and it could be a miserable failure. It could be a disaster. But I think it also sort of helps them always have that leverage. I feel like then they can really play up that, hey, we only need this much more. We're at 10,000 and really make it that. Because if they're at 10,001, they'll be screaming at the head and the fireworks will be going off. You know what I mean? If they're right at 10,000 tickets, they'll be... They'll be they've got cocky personas. They can't go out and... It's, they can't go out there and say, like, yeah, we hope to have a pretty good show and we'll see who comes up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah well, hopefully a lot of people come. We'll see. <laughs> now, look, and listen, I think this shows an enormous amount of guts. They're really putting their necks out here. They must really think they can do this. Because when you have an over-the-top cocky persona like this, people are waiting to throw eggs in your face. You know that, Rich. You know that there's a lot of people who don't who want them to sell 3,800 tickets, and are and are just cracking their knuckles, and curling their mustaches, and waiting to bury these guys when this thing fails miserably. So they really are putting their necks out. I give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, it's their money that they're risking. Number one, and more importantly, more so than the money, because I think people would be surprised how cheap it is to rent out an arena, an empty arena. Uh, in a lot of cases, especially these public-owned arenas, they're begging for people to book these things to justify the cost of keeping the thing standing. Uh, you know, the reason that TNA was able to book the Alamo Dome in San Antonio a few years ago for lockdown, even though they only used a, a twelfth of it, was because it's so cheap to book the building because the building loses millions of dollars a year for the city because of this big building that get, that gets used a half a dozen times a year. And just to run the electricity, you know, you're losing tons of money on it. So you can, that's an extreme example, but you can rent these buildings when they're not being used because it's just an empty building sitting there generating zero revenue. So you can get a building for a good price. And then it's just a matter of getting insurance and licensing and all that. And these guys, that's not a big deal to them. And in terms of booking the talent, again, it's like I said before, when you have talent that's basically going to be throwing themselves at these guys to work on this show because everyone's going to want to work this show. Don't think for one second that these guys' phones aren't blowing up already for people angling to work this show. Everybody's going to want to work this show, okay? You're going to get rates on these guys, okay? Do you think whoever, Brian Cage, who I'll just pick a guy, okay? Yeah, Do you think Lee, they're going to – yeah, whoever, yeah. yeah, name your indie wrestler, Joey Janela. There's a guy who knows how to market himself, right? Do you think Joey Janela is going to charge these guys his full rate? He's smart enough to know. He, he'll probably Joey Janela would work that show for free, and he'd probably dive through a table too, with uh, covered in glass. 
Okay. These guys, you know, this is a big time opportunity for these guys. Don't so work for free, gonna, by the way, Joey. Joey, get paid. Don't don't work for free. Get paid. But yeah, he's crazy enough to do it. But I <laughs> no, mean, he is, yeah. But you but see my point make, here. Guys are going to know that if they show up there with a with a, a luggage cart full of shirts and and are on the social media with them and are on that they're going to make money in the end. It's going to be an investment for a lot of these people. Saying, "Hey, look, yeah, I'll work for a half my rate because I know that merch is going to fly off the shelves at that show. I know that just being aligned with the show is going to be a big deal. It's not going to be a failure. Like that that's the thing. Even if they get 6,000 people or whatever, it's a failure in the sense that they didn't get 10,000, but like, I don't expect this to be like less than a thousand people. No one sells any merch. A lot, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be that. Like, there's no way in hell that it's that. It's no, and, be if, and if the show is one way or another, that's right. And if the show is an enormous success and they sell 11,000 tickets, you want to be on that show. I mean, you want to be on this show regardless. It's going to be uh, the biggest indie show of the year, obviously. What's well, going to be a bigger indie show than that? I mean, even if it fails, it's going to be the biggest indie show of the year. If they sell 4,000 tickets, it's going to be the biggest indie show of the year by, by you know, it's going to be four times bigger than any other indie show, you know, in the country. So, I mean, yeah, you know, they're going to get good rates on guys. So, I don't, you know, so even though they're risking their own money, I don't think they're risking an exorbitant amount of money. I think there's almost no way they don't make their money back, but they're risking their reputations here. You know, it's, it's, it'll be very embarrassing for them if this thing isn't a success. That's why I believe that, you know, they, they firmly believe they're going to sell 10,000 tickets. I have no doubt. And I mean, let's face it. If they sell 7,900 tickets, they're going to claim it was 10,000. You know, the only way this thing is a true fall on your face failure is if it sells 3,800 tickets. Because there's no way to spin that. But um, I like their odds. Um, I, I like to see as we get closer to it. And um, but, but, you know, if you're putting a gun to my head now, um, will they sell 10,000 tickets? I, I legitimately think it's 50-50. Whether they sell legitimately sell 10,000 tickets yeah. or not. I think it's a 50-50 proposition. I'm at about a, I'm at about a 60-40. And, and I, the reason I'm so confident is that I think it's, because people are sort of alluding to like, oh, that's a big deal. And I, the thing is, they're not saying we want you to come every single week. We're not saying we're coming every single month. It's all for this. It's all in. It's all. It's a giant it's saying, party. It's, it's a giant this party. event. Come to this show on this date and let's make history. That is, if you tell people eight months in advance, hey, this day in Chicago, San Francisco, wherever it is going to be, we're going to be wrestling fans. will travel, man. We see they'll go anywhere. And if you say, let's make history on this date at this time or whatever, we're not asking you to every single month show up. We're not telling you to buy the streaming service every single month, the recurring payments. We're saying on this day, show up and let's make history. You are going to get enough people, I think, to do that. Depending we, where it's at, like you know what I mean, like that's something I, w- I would like to be a part. I'd like to be in that atmosphere. You know, I, I would love to go to that. Be a lot of fun. Like that. I, I fucking hope it's in Chicago. That's going to be great if it's in. Chicago. I think we'd have a lot of friends there. I think it'd yeah. be a lot of fun. It'd be a great place to and go. I, you know, have a good it's time. It's going to be that sort of atmosphere, and that's that's mm-hmm. the difference that people are, are are sort of forgetting here when people are looking. Oh well, what is this? It's not like they're trying to book a whole promotion. They're not starting a new company or whatever. They're saying this moment, this date, that day, this venue, this weekend, or whatever, whatever it is. Like that's different than saying. Hey, we're we're starting a new promotion, and and this is our first show. They're not saying this is our first show. They're saying this is this all in <laughs> this moment right here, and yeah. that's all they're going for. So it's gonna be a lot easier to get people invested in that, in just that one singular thing. I mean, God, look at the Wrestle Kingdom tickets, man! Like people are just going across the world well, to go me, to Wrestle well, Kingdom. For um, America, it's funny you bring right? it up. Let me ask you a question. We talked about Ring of Honor. I don't think this is a giant look. Ring of, Ring of Honor had an opportunity. If Ring of Honor had told these guys, "Look, we're going to try to run a ten thousand seat," they would have been all in on it, and 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 no pun intended. And and been, but I, I think, like you're saying, Ring of Honor doesn't have that kind of ambition. These guys are doing it themselves. Fuck Ring of Honor. I don't really feel bad for Ring of Honor here. 
let me ask you this. Do you think this is a kick in the balls to New Japan? Because, I don't. Well, well here's, here's my angle. Let me present it to you this yeah, way. Okay, go ahead. We just talked about they've got to book Omega, right? Well, New Japan is telling you, we have this New Japan USA thing going on. Kenny Omega is our champion. He's the guy we're building that sister promotion around. We're giving our fans one or two times a year to see him. And you're adding another date. You're adding another destination date where people might use their expendable income, their money that they may have used on a New Japan USA show to fly to wherever the fuck you're doing this thing. So from that perspective, do you think they're kicking New Japan in the balls? The reason I don't, and I see your point, and that does make a lot of sense that they would sort of say, hey, we have this finite amount of, of, of draws that we can do, and you're taking one of those, but... We've, we've, we know that they're, you know, that Kadani has mentioned it himself that he wants to go after WWE or whatever. And I think this is a thing that they could sell to New Japan saying, hey, look, you know, yes, I understand it's, it's putting a dent in this, but we're going to make this a big deal. And if it features some of your talent, that could help you. You know what I mean? Like, and they could sell it to New Japan as, as, as in some ways, we're, you're not working directly with us, but there's going to be a, a, a slight, tinge of promotion towards new japan on this show if in omega shows up he is obviously a new japan contacted talent so you look and say oh well where can i watch kenny omega oh we can watch him in new japan or whatever like if an okada or whatever shows up if new japan loans one of those guys and, and lets them go to the show i think they get benefits from that too so i do wonder if if there is a little bit of that give or take where yes it, it, it reduces the new japan and usa the finite amount of, of potential shows that people could go to for a new japan and usa but i think it 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 it, it proves a larger point for new japan and ring of honor and all these other companies that's why i don't know that anybody's going to really be objected to it even if they're not completely with them or completely sponsoring it with them is that it still proves an idea that hey we're doing it without WWE, and we're giving your guys publicity and we're giving your company publicity on this show or whatever so i do think I, I, again i don't know i don't know what the business practices are but i feel like new japan would see the benefit in allowing them to do this if i'm I new japan think a benefit to it if i'm if i'm new japan i tell them None of our talent works that show unless you run an angle for us. I would want to run an angle on the show. I'd want to run an angle with Omega on the show in the main event. And obviously, I'd want to control the bookings to some extent, too. If they're going to be using any... First of all, Kenny Omega is not losing anybody. If I'm New Japan, look, Kenny Omega cannot lose. Um, Any other Japanese talent you bring in cannot lose. I mean, those are the ground rules I set if I'm New Japan. Um, I don't think if I'm New Japan, I just wipe my hands and say, do what you want, guys. No, no, no. Um, now, if New Japan had, had no interest in running the United States, I don't care what you do. But because they're trying to break into this market, I want some level of control over this thing for anyone that's under a New Japan contract, which obviously, I don't care what you do with the Bucks. The Bucks aren't losing on their own show. You don't have to worry about that. But Kenny Omega wins, and I'm running, and I'm running an angle with Kenny Omega to set up one of my shows that I'm doing. I mean, that, that, that's what I would do. I'm not, I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, we know, Rich, just from talking to promoters, that New Japan can, they will micromanage right down to guys that are on excursions. And you know what I'm talking about. Sure. You've heard stories. Okay, even when they've got guys on excursions, there's, there's instances where they have stepped in and they've micromanaged things and said, he's not working this show, he's not wrestling this guy, or you know, we're pulling him from this show, we don't like the, how he's being booked here. And we're talking about young boys. So to me, I, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that New Japan is going to exert some kind of control over the show. 
Yeah, I agree. But yeah, to me, I, do you see the value though? Do you see the value to a New Japan or to a Ring of Honor to not not necessarily say don't do this, but because I think no, look, 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 I, look, I think of, if Ring of Honor wanted to do this, these guys would be on board with that. I don't think they give a shit necessarily whether they draw the 10K under the Ring of Honor banner or their own banner because I, I think they just want to do it. And I think that Ring of Honor dropped the ball here. I think, but, but like you're saying, I don't think that they particularly care all that much. No, I, I really don't. And that's not necessarily, again, I'm not really, I'm do not you think that these them. guys they're, just, they're very comfortable in what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're fine. They're, they they enjoy what they're doing. And do you think that these guys didn't run it by Ring of Honor first? Give me a break. Oh, God, yes. Of course, Cody. I'm, I'm sure Cody was talking about it all the time. And he says yeah. in, that, in that tweet that I talked about, he CC's Ring of Honor, and that was months ago, and they didn't do anything. Yeah. So he says, fuck it. All right. Yeah. Then fine. And, I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you let, why wouldn't you do, let them put the money up? <laughs> it's like, of course you'd rather do, you know, do it under the Ring of Honor banner. Yeah, let them, they have people that can it's, book venues. They have people that yeah, know production and all that sort of thing. Let them handle the headache and let them put their own money up. Right. I, I think there's no way they didn't run this. If they didn't run this by Ring of Honor first, they got big balls. Look, I know they're influential in that company. I know that they're big stars there, but you still have, con- you're, you're still under contract to that company. You know, and you're going to do something like this. You've got to run it by your ball. I, I don't think for one second. They oh, no, I'm positive they would. And I feel like they would have to run it by them anyway to even run it in the first place. So I'm sure yeah. that, but I'm sure, and that's what I think. I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, whether it be Ring of Honor, whether it be, you know, Japan or whatever other companies are involved in whatever other wrestlers, I think there's going to be a lot of like, yeah, you know, go ahead, thumbs up, but don't, you know, don't say that it was Ring of Honor, New Japan present, you know, all in or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there, there's, there's going to be that sort of, hey, you can do this. Maybe, you know, give us a little bit of plug throughout it, but we'll stay kind of out of, the, the promotion of it in that sense where I don't think new Japan world is going to be promoting it or showing it or, or, or retweeting about it or whatever, but there's an idea that's still that they're going to be and, and, and that the bucks and Cody and all these guys are going to be in a way sort of promoting new Japan in promotion of this entire show. Cause that's where, Hey, you, you came to the show, you saw this. Well, here's where we are at. Like you said, the angle at the end. Well, okay. You enjoy that show. We all did this great thing. Well now go watch in Japan world. Cause Kenny Omega is going to offend uh, the title that he just lost, or he's going to go try to get the title back. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that, or, or, or try to, you know, put those little breadcrumbs that send people then after all ends done to ring of honor, to new Japan, to whoever you want to, um, you know, whatever other promotions are sort of tacitly involved in this without being hundred percent involved. So no, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. And I, and I think it's going to be a success and I hope it is. And uh, really everybody should hope it is because again, we talk about this all the time. Even if you love WWE and if you really enjoy it, you should want there to be competition. It makes WWE better. It makes Vince McMahon get yeah. off his ass and do better. It always has. He has always thrived on competition. The best stuff that yes. they ever produce is when there's somebody riding their ass. So if you love WWE, you should be hoping and praying that these dudes get 12,000 because it's going to make yeah. WWE better. It's going to make the wrestling oh, yeah. better. It's going to make wrestling better. Sure. <laughs> so I don't know why like, More I don't know why anybody More. wants this to fail. Like, What are you doing? Yeah. No, Why? yeah, only only to only only so you can, you know, laugh at Cody and the Bucks because you think they're arrogant. That's the only angle I can come up with. But I mean, more options is better for everybody. And like you said, it even makes for a better WWE when there's a fire lit under them. And I think there's a whole different I mean, if they come here and, and we, we sort of talked about it again and we've seen this sort of groundswell happening a little bit, if they go out there and do this, I mean, this is the most power individual wrestlers have had in years of proving, hey, look, there's a world outside of this and we can do stuff and we can make careers. I mean the Bucks are proving it, Cody is proving it, Omega in a lot of ways is proving it. Like these guys are proving that you don't need that company and that you can say no and still be successful and that's that's huge for everybody. 
That's good for WWE wrestlers. If you're a wrestler in WWE, you better hope these guys get 14000 because then you can negotiate the next time your contract's up and go, well, you know what? I can go do my own thing and make money, and then they have to give you more money to keep you to stay. So again, I don't know who would ever argue against this thing or want this not to be successful. Wrestlers in WWE. WWE, if you're a fan of every single person in the wrestling world should want this to be successful because it's the greatest thing that would happen in wrestling. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. So people uh, feel like to go out of the way. Uh, see stuff fail but what are, anyway okay, what are the odds you think it happens period because it's not official yeah um 80 20 90 10 I, I think i'm a little less than that to be honest i'm probably at about a 75 25 yeah, probably about a 75 25 on it so it's 75 percent chance you think it happens thumbs up for ring of honor you still need because there might be a thing where ring of honor is like eh, we don't really want to see here's the thing if, if they like, Co- cody has been very bold so have the bucks Talking about, yep, it's official. It's going to happen. They obviously fed the story to TMZ, man. So they're confident that they're going to do it. Um, I think if they get cold feet or they don't think they can pull it off, if it's not going to happen for whatever reason, the PR reason they're going to have to they're going to have to blame Ring of Honor. And that's what I mean. And that's I think what's going to always be it. And they they've sort of if you've seen any news report and if you've seen any of the different reports, they've all entered. The, there's always been the line, whether it be KHIC, it's or Up Rocks or, or, or processing sheet, like you said, it's always said, well, pending, you know, ROH approval, or if they get our, right. I, you know what I mean? There, the, there's the reason that line has been in every single press release and every single article. Sure. They're savvy enough to give themselves an out to say that, Hey, we couldn't do this because ring of honor didn't want us to do it. Right. You know, right. <laughs> which, you know, I, I, it's, it's smart because yeah, they don't want to say, and I don't think they're going to get cold feet, but I think it, it probably will be one of the reasons is, is, is ring of honor is kind of uneasy about it. And you know, when they're contracted talent to them that they can't necessarily do that, but I, I think they're setting up a BS excuse. I think, maybe. That's it is, which is, I mean, it's smart. I mean, y- you can't go out and tell people, ah, you know, we just, uh, we weren't sure we could do it, guys. So we're, no, you, <laughs> right. you know, blame. blame Turns out the cop balance is really expensive to book. Sorry, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. You just blame the corporate conglomerate. You know, right. so that might not be a bad place to run. I mean, that that no, India that was there, no, that, that's. I was going to bring that up because I know Dave had talked about either I'm Observer Radio. I don't think it's in written. Uh, Dave Meltzer talked about the, those recent shows that were in the cop palace made a profit, even though they, it's a big arena and they only yeah. put you know three or four thousand people in there. But again, it's one of those ones. It's like, hey, this thing's not doing anything. Sure, come and run something. We we can make money on concessions. Yeah, that's my point <laughs> before. It's, yeah, you'd be surprised. You can get these buildings relatively cheap. You really yeah, can. Otherwise, we're just cleaning this piece of shit for no reason, and no one's ever coming. So yeah, exactly. Go ahead. And there's plenty of arenas around there. I mean, you drive the country, and you'll you'll stumble upon a, a pretty decent sized basketball slash hockey arena. That's not rich. How many how many universities have eight to twelve thousand seat basketball arenas for their basketball teams in this country? I mean, there's probably there's literally hundreds of them. I mean, there's tons of options here, and plus, like we said, dead dead buildings like the Cal Palace. Which yeah, are- great place actually. That'd be a, that'd be a really good place to run. I mean, I prefer somewhere in Chicago, of course, but uh, Cal Palace would be a good spot. So, I'm, I'm assuming that's one of the ones that they've. they've what about the Paul's new building? They build that yet? Oh, uh, they did. Yeah, there, there's a lot of red tape with that thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that one. Um, the Probably one that would about be ten thousand, right? Yeah, about that. The one that would be interesting is USC Pavilion. That's an older arena, uh, yeah. University of Illinois Chicago. Gets it's about ten thousand seats or so. I think about ninety five hundred, but but that's for you know basketball. You could probably yep. stuff some more people in there. Has wrestling lineage, centrally located. That's I, I don't know for sure. Like I'm just speculating, but if they were going to run Chicago, hey, you know what they should. You know that just gave me a great idea. That gave me a great idea. They should run an eight or nine thousand seat building. You could sell it out to capacity, say it was ten thousand, and you can't really rip them if they sold every ticket. You know what I mean? And it kind of mitigates the risk a little bit too. 
Yeah, because so I'm looking at it right now the USC Pavilion. So it it does about nine about. Yeah, ninety five hundred for basketball. Which, by the way, yeah. you you follow USC basketball or you follow you know Horizon League basketball. They are not. Uh, they have never been near ninety five hundred. I don't think there's a program in the country that they can play that where they would draw. <laughs> I mean, you could get Duke, in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, Duke and Kentucky yeah. were playing. Yeah. No, no I mean, I mean against UIC. Yeah, I no, mean, no. Yeah, there's yeah. just no fucking way. No, yeah, but they uh for stage shows it says here for concert venues they can do ten thousand seventy five. So they can get yeah. it to that. Uh, but Why it says for that I mean, school will have a ten thousand. Oh, I guess for concerts and comedians and things yeah, like that. But it really hasn't been used as well. I mean, in the so, 80s, it was a big deal. Like Chi-Town Rumble, of course, everybody remembers, you know, sure. Star Kid 87, you know, Havoc 90. Like those big things it was all big for. And then it, it really now just barely gets used for anything. But. Does the basketball team legitimately play there? Or do they have a small oh, yeah. on-campus oh, they gym? They, they play, play in that building. Uh-huh. It's 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 an experience to go to a UIC game when it's like you and maybe two hundred people in the, like this ninth like arena. like which like they'll play Chicago State in that building. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's, and and there'll be eight hundred people there. Yeah, oh yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah, no, I've been there for like I go there for uh, high school basketball. We'll play there a lot, and that you'll get like you know two thousand three thousand people for like a big yeah. time. You know they have like a city versus suburb classic or whatever. Sure. Where all the city teams play, and that'll get you know two three thousand or whatever. And even then, it feels like a just giant big arena that's empty. Yeah. But we always say, we always go there and we're always like, man, they should run more wrestling events here. It's a pretty good spot to watch a wrestling show. And I've never been there for a wrestling show, but yeah, it'll be interesting. And then that's, you know, from Chicago standpoint, that's that's one that I look at. But yeah, the, the DePaul Arena, I don't know what the capacity is for that one. That one's a mess. But yeah, Cow Palace is a good one. Any of your dead arenas in whatever big time city you're looking at, that that's that's where you're really looking at. Mm-hmm. Because those are the great deals. And those deals. Are where you're really, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to, they, they mentioned a few here. I'm trying to get the exact list that Cody. Uh, and the guys mentioned, ah, I lost it on this one. Ah, I closed out the window. Whatever. It mentioned like Chicago, um, somewhere in California as well. Uh, London, they mentioned. But again, I, I wouldn't do London. That doesn't really prove anything. Like, I think you need to do it in the US. I've seen a lot of people already say if they go to Europe, they're cheating. Which, you know, I think is bullshit. Um, I think if you draw 10,000 fans anywhere in the world, it's impressive. Especially if it's an indie show. So I, I disagree with that. I don't care where they could run it. I don't care where they run it. I, I, I think it would be an impressive feat to draw 10,000 fans. We just sat here and told you that Tetsuya Naito has never drawn 10,000 fans for New Japan. And you're going to tell me <laughs> if these guys run a show in fucking London, you're going to say they're cheating? No, 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 no. Sorry. It's still a major accomplishment no matter where they go. Yeah, Chicago, uh, London, uh, some other places in California, San Francisco, of course. But yeah, I feel like I feel like Chicago and San Francisco are pretty good spots. A pretty low. I feel like there's a good wrestling base in in either of those places. Cal Palace, obviously, San Francisco and Chicago. We've seen in the wrestling tees. Uh, that the should with be the West Coast. Is you're asking a lot of people to take a cross country flight? Right. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you run it in middle America. Everyone's got a relatively short flight. Right. I'm, I'm not being biased here because obviously it'd be great to have it in my backyard, but I feel like Chicago is a great re- option for a lot of reasons. You saw it with Global Wars. You saw the success there. As you said, yeah. centrally located for a lot of people. The Processing Tees connection, you could have stuff there all week at that store, and that's you know really the hub of, of, of the merchandise for the Bucks and the Elite and all those sort of guys. So, I mean, it really, it, it has, and there's a lot of good venues. You know, as you said, it's a big city as well, but it's not necessarily like, you're not going to get... Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just five fifty-five for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. 
Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Sucked up by, you know, you do it in New York, and there's so many other things to do in New York, and so many other things. Like, you're not going to get sucked up in Chicago. You will be a big deal there. And, and I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. For sure. All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, this topic that's <laughs> it just continues to be just a disaster for a lot of parties of all. Flow Slam and WWN. This comes... Um, on the heels of Monday night, uh, Flow Slam, uh, Flow Sports, the obviously the parent company of Flow Slam, uh, filed multiple new documents. This comes, uh, this report comes from David Bixspan at Fightful.com, who's done uh, an awesome job covering this topic uh, in terms of the Flow Slam and stuff. Really digging into the lawsuit, digging into a lot of stuff that's going on. I have a column up there on uh, Voice Wrestling uh, as well. If you want to check that out real quick, just a little bit of overview, a little bit more of my opinion on that. You know, and the whole battle going on here. But if you want really the down and dirty of, hey, what's in this lawsuit? What's in these documents? Uh, the David Bixon Spanish thing at Fightful d- does a great job. But I'm reading a little bit of what, what he wrote here. Uh, Monday Night Flow Sports filed multiple new documents in their lawsuit against WWN, the parent company of Evolve, Shine, and FIP, where they allege that WWN sent them fraudulent business records to secure a deal to get them on their Flow Slam wrestling streaming service. Now, Joe, when we initially heard about this, our stance and Again, not knowing all the information, our stance was essentially that we thought that Flo signed a shit deal and was looking for some way to kind of maneuver their way out of it. And we're using the idea of fraudulent numbers uh, to sort of do that. And and we weren't sure we weren't privy to the numbers or whatever, but it seemed weird. And it seemed like, you know, I don't know that necessarily uh, we, we weren't sure what the fraudulent numbers were. We had to see what that those numbers were going to be to really get an idea of, OK, how ridiculous were they? We were trying to take guesses as to, you know, what they could have realistically said that would have made them sign the great crazy deal they did and and all that sort of stuff. Well, we got the numbers in this documents that they filed that that evolve and WWN will use WWN for kind of the, the, the obviously as the parent company. So we use them. Uh, going forward. So WWN, this is the numbers that they sent Flow Slam and, and, and Flow Sports, you know, in the negotiations for this. Um, <clears throat> what they tell the what they tell Flow Sports doesn't seem that unrealistic. I want to give you these numbers. And I want to hear kind of your reaction to this. So in 2015, uh, this is according again to WWN, uh, the average show drew about 575 or about 500 to 750 buys with notable increases to a little over 1000 buys for WrestleMania weekend shows. Uh, anything seem unrealistic about those numbers? 2015, 500 to 750, 1,000 for WrestleMania weekend? No. If anything, um, that's a little lower than I would think. I, I think that our personal estimates, just based on information that we were given over the years and um, you know, just our feel for the business, we always figured Evolve was somewhere eight, 900 a show, right? Isn't that what we used to throw out there? Um, so you know, if they were averaging between 500 and 750, that's actually a little lower than I would have suspected. Yeah, and I agree. And we had people that were kind of digging into like the URLs that people were mm-hmm. signing into and being like, oh, you know, maybe it's like eight. And a lot of that was during WrestleMania weekend because I think people, a lot of people were trying to see what was spiking yeah. up. I mean, a thousand for or a little over a thousand for WrestleMania weekend. I would have thought, you know, 1,200, 13. Sure. I mean, just looking at as our much traffic. As, as much as 2,000. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at just our buzz in terms of Twitter and our, our hits on reviews and stuff. And, and, and I would have thought it was more than that. So rank and file show high hundreds, though, is what I would have pegged. If okay. you would have told me, you know, so 750, which I was, if they're saying that's high end for a rank and file show, seven. They're saying 500 to 750. So for yeah. you, that that's that kind of. That's a little lower than I would have thought. But yeah, it's right in the same ballpark. It's not an outrageous. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because uh, I agree. I, I'm with you on that one. So in 2016, there was a big jump with the rank and yeah. file shows doing about 950 to 1300 buys and shows from the weekend of WWE tentpole pay-per-view events doing a little over 2000 each peaking at uh, about 2,400 buys for Evolve 58 during WrestleMania weekend. So 
any of those numbers surprise you? That jump is huge. We'll, we'll get to some reasons why. Does that jump come across as unrealistic or fraudulent, or does it seem logical that they would have it, that big jump? It does it for two reasons. One, that you outlined in your article, the WWE connection. From that time that they the Cruiserweight Classic was ramping up, that WWE.com was mentioning Evolve and mentioning WWN, there was tweets from Triple H, there was tweets from WWE's Twitter account, there was more of a light shined on WWN and Evolve in 2016 than there had ever been in history and you know, quadruple what had done in 2015. They got WWE to say, hey, here is an indie company, and it's pretty cool, go watch it. Is essentially what WWE said. You're getting you're getting tweets from WWE. You're getting tweets from WWE. You get all those WWE connections. But even more so for me, in my opinion, what would explain the jump? That's when Evolve peaked. That's when they had that incredible roster: Chris Hero, T.J. Perkins, um, Zach Saber Jr., Johnny Gargano, um, um, Drew McIntyre. I'm sorry, Drew Galloway. Um, uh, all the, uh, the wrestle fuck guys, uh, whether it was, uh, uh, Gulak and Tracy Williams on the rise and then Fred Yehi And remember they had everybody there. Those shows were incredible. 2016 is when Evolve peaked. That's when they were red hot and everybody was super into Evolve and everybody made fun of Dave cause he never watched or reported on the shows. And, you know, so I totally believe that their numbers would have jumped from 2015 to 2016. Absolutely. And that isn't even any kind of incredible jump. They went from averaging for rank and file shows in the mid hundreds, 500 to 750 to just under a thousand. And that WrestleMania weekend was the one we just talked about with Kota Ibushi, where they set their attendance record and everything else. 2016 was peak evolve. I have no problem with those numbers. They all sound like they're on the up and up to me. Yeah. And I I agree as well. And those numbers don't really, jump out as being ridiculous on any level so <laughs> it's it's some flow slim and flow sports is trying to show that these numbers are these are the fraudulent numbers that they bring up these are the numbers that force them into signing this contract and now what's good is we, we got some little details on the contract as well you know at the time it was rumored what was the what was the rumored figure that we kept hearing all the time what was it five years three mil was that kind five of five years 3.5 million okay well here's, we got the actual years, it yeah, was five years 3.5 million and then somewhere along the way, wires got crossed and people started saying three years, five million, but I think they just reversed the numbers. Right. But yeah, but in general, somewhere between three and five million, somewhere between three and five years. That's what right. was going around dark Twitter and what we reported on this show a million different times. Exactly. Well, in the court filings, it says that WN was to get escalating rights fees divided up as following. 2016, so they signed this in late 2016. So this was just yeah. kind of the rest of the year. Partial payment for 2016. Exactly. They were going to get 75000 in 2016. 2017, right. they were going to get 500000 2018, 550,000, 2019, 605,000, and so on and so forth, ending in 2021 with $740,000. And and so for a total contract of like five and a half millions, yeah, 3.4 million, which is right in range of 3.14, I should say. Yeah, so so like five and a half years, $3.1 million. Right. So the number that was floating around and that we gave people wasn't all that far off. It was right in a, in, in, in the similar range. It was a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, flow sports had the option to end the relationship, but they could not exercise it until January, 2018. And then even then the deal would still be good for at least a year. So they could say January, 2018. Okay. This was a bad deal. We're done, but we have to still pay you all of 2018, the 550,000, but then we're done. 
So that's which what the head of the contract you, they could do. Which tells you how bad they were getting killed because they didn't even wait a few they didn't even wait six months to when they can contractually get out of it. They wanted out of it six months before then, which tells you they were taking a bath. I mean, they could have waited until January and legally gotten out of it and just ate another five hundred thousand dollars. They weren't even willing to do that. That just goes to tell you that they just no one was subscribing to this fucking thing. Well, now the real question is, in, in a lot of ways, and I guess it's a kind of a two-part question. We'll start with the fraudulent numbers. Let's assume that those are fraudulent numbers, okay? For the purposes of my article on voice arresting, I kind of assume that, okay, let's assume that these numbers are wild. They're in, they're, they're, Flow Sports just went, oh my God, this is what you're doing. Great. Here is $3 million or whatever, which even with those streaming numbers, like I, your initial thoughts on if, if those were the fraudulent numbers, if those are the inflated numbers, is Flow Sports still absolutely fucking nuts for giving them that much money? Yes. Okay, I agree. And that's what uh, I had Michael Spears, uh, obviously co-host of the uh, Open the Voice Gate podcast. Uh, he's an MBA student as well. And I put in the, uh, the article, that means he's smarter than me and he's a very smart guy. So I, he kind of ran some numbers because he was really interested in this of just like, hey, let's assume that these numbers were real and let's see, would this have been a good deal? If those numbers and if they could, if, if reasonably WN could sustain those numbers, if, if WN came and said, here's what we're doing and could sustain those numbers, if those fraudulent numbers were accurate, they would still be taking an absolute bat. So here's what he wrote. He said, from the outset and given the numbers that are now public knowledge, this contract was an incredible mistake on the side of Flusslam. With the caveat that I was only able to use from the information that David Vixen fan reported, uh, it was entirely unlikely that Flusslam WN contract would have ever worked out in Flo's flavor. Uh, using the 20 per month subscription model, because we don't even know what the annual versus monthly split was for subscribers, the break even needed for Flusslam starts in 2016 at uh, 1,875 subscribers and grows until 2021 at 3,083 subscribers per month. This is a growth over the contract of 64.63% okay, and an stop, average stop. annual growth of 10.4%. So stop. It, it, they needed 1,800 subscribers right off the bat. Right. There's no fucking way they, they had needed more people than were watching peak, even with the fraudulent numbers, even with the fraudulent numbers, they needed all those people the plus more shows plus more to subscribe. Every and single person, yeah. every single person that watched Evolve on WrestleMania weekend had to subscribe immediately from day one and buy the yearly thing. And then they needed more people as well on top of that. Here, here's my feeling. Stupid. On this. <laughs> yeah. My feeling is the numbers that WWM provided are, are, are the true legitimate numbers. Yeah, I agree. And my feeling is that flow for some reason, because very poor business people were, were, were writing up these contracts. Why did they think that they can convert every one of those people to a subscription? That's insane to think that you could do that. I mean, that's just who, who wrote that, who offered that? And why wouldn't WWN to me did nothing wrong here. We're going to get to that in a little bit because I think there's other details in the contract that, that I think yeah, really takes them out of everything. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Well, the last thing from, from, from Michael Spears, he, uh, our good friend, Ari Mike Spears, of course. Uh, he says, if the estimated subscribers remained stable or even grew at a percentage that Evolve showed through the data given, this would have been a mid-six figures loss for Flow Slam. There was no way that WWN could have hit the break-even points for the contract alone, let alone be the keystone for an entire streaming network. So this is... I guess you can make an assumption that they thought, let's give all this money to Evolve to be our, our, our anchor or whatever. 
And then maybe we'll have other companies that come in that can sort of subsidize yeah. the loss that we're taking on WN, which is a fucking terrible business. It's a terrible business plan <laughs> right. because you have to pay those companies too. Right. Those companies aren't just going to say, oh, sure. Yeah, whatever. Like, especially in 2017 or 2016 or whatever, when it's never been easier to set up a camera and do your own shit. Freelance in, in Chicago has proven that I, we're just going to do Facebook Live and it's fine. It, it, it's fine for us. You know, we'll get on high spots. We'll have a guy run a camera. The next day we'll have it up or whatever. People can do live stuff if they want. In 2016, to assume that somebody was going to come hat in hand and go, oh my God, please put us on Flow Slam. Don't even pay us. You're a fucking nut. So you were never going to subsidize the bath you were taking on WWN with these other companies. So that's, I guess, what their assumption was. And what are the, what were these <laughs> other guess? companies? And, and what were these other companies going to realistically add? If, if Evolve, if Peak Evolve wasn't even giving you 1,800 subscribers, you know, no offense to any of these promotions I'm going to name, but what is Beyond Wrestling going to give you? Right. What IPW is UK, IPW UK? Yeah. What is IPW UK going to give you? What is even WXW, who I love and they do a great thing. I mean, they're not going to drive a thousand extra people to the service. You know, I don't really want to get into the European one because who I, I I have a less of a feel for that. I think that um, if you're talking Progress or WXW, they may actually bring in more subscribers than WWN. Um, no, I don't. Disp- I, I don't doubt that, but I'm not saying they're not going to make up for the bath that they would be taking. No, you're going to have to pay them millions too. That's what I mean. They're not WXW. They're going to give up their streaming services. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is that the, the, none of these services that are going to make a difference are going to do it for free? Correct. You know, and the ones you're going to get cheap are bringing no one in. I mean, let's go back to that Beyond example. I mean, you know, Drew's a very honest guy. I mean, he said that he's done streams before that like 20 people bought them. Right. I mean, you. you you're talking minuscule numbers with a lot of these indies. I mean, they're not bringing anything in. You know, it's, it's so even if you were getting them for nothing, for zero dollars, even if they're paying, even if in some cases they're paying you, you're still not making up what you're losing on WW. This was a horrendous, this is an all timer. This is one of the worst wrestling deals I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Which I mean, is saying a lot in pro wrestling. <laughs> it doesn't get much worse than this. This was horrendous. This is an absolute. You know? And this is what absolute. happens. Here's the mistake. Here's the other mistake they made. Okay, they went on. Remember when they went on this hiring binge? They're trying oh, to by hire. The way, for, for the for the record, Flow Slam is dead. They they killed it this uh, a few days. It's ago. officially dead. Yeah, yeah they fired done, so. their last employee, and they've they've given up the ghost entirely. At this point, all it was, <laughs> it, was, was podcast. Podcast. it was a wrestling <laughs> blog that posted like generic WWE news and they didn't even a, post anything. All right, and, and, and then, an Ethan Page podcast. So they fired their last employee. They no longer exist. But this is the mistake Flo made. After they had rolled out the business and entered into negotiations with wrestling promotions and secured the WWN deal and all this, then they tried to hire wrestling people. They tried to hire Dave Meltzer and Rob McCarron and Joel Anza and all these other people. And then talking to all these people after the fact. You should have hired some pro wrestling people, someone who knew something about pro wrestling before you tried to enter into the – because D- Dave Meltzer would have stepped in and said, you guys are fucking nuts. You cannot pay them $3.1 million because they, 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 they do the math. They're not going to grow by 46%. This is insane. Wrestling people would have stepped in and stopped this. You know, and then maybe it wouldn't have gotten off the ground because then maybe you can't cut a deal with anybody. But you know what? Then you're not in the position you're in now where they lost, you know, potentially millions of dollars. 
I don't think they're going to win. How can they win this case? They're not going to. If these numbers are proven to be factual, and how can you prove that they're not? Then, then, and and here's the thing: if WWN it did inflate these numbers, what did they inflate them from? Zero. They're not impressive numbers to begin no, with. No, that's what I mean. They're not impressive numbers at all. And 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 you, the, the thing is, is that, and and I, I promise, is exactly what happened. Is that Flow Slam looked at the 2015 to 2016 increase, which is around 45 percent, and said, "Oh, well, you guys can do that next year, right?" And, and completely, again, like you said, not being aware of the circumstances, not being aware of why they maybe grew, not being aware that that might be the peak, that maybe they're not going to grow beyond that, and assume that that was just continual, constant growth, which is absolutely. Right. In and if any you, business, to be honest, if a company grows by 45%, like, insane. Right. In any business, especially in pro wrestling. Especially, you don't have 40% growth over 40% growth. That's, <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous. You know, if I do that in my business, I, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm a millionaire. I, you, you just don't fucking do that. But, it, but here's the, it's like, and again, this is where it would have helped to have wrestling people in the room because a wrestling person would have said, now hold on now. They're hot right now, and half of their fucking roster is going to be in WWE next year. <laughs> right. In the next two months, they're all gone. So, you know, and it's like again, they didn't have those people in the room. You know, they they had MMA people in the room. It's it's who didn't understand. So you know, it, it, oh, what a horrendous deal. And let me tell you something. You know, um, it, you know, even if even if WWE had grossly inflated the numbers and pulled some carny shit. It's like it's to me. It's still flow not doing their homework and signing. Right, do your goddamn deal. due diligence. Like, but, I, I it, yeah. I mean, it's not right to be. It's not right to be right. right. But now that we know that they didn't pull any carny bullshit, WWN is completely exonerated. But I know you want to go some other paths with that too. So go ahead. Yeah, which is pretty interesting as well because one of the big things that that we had brought up a lot on this show, and 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 to be fair, we always kind of set the blame on Flow Sports and on Flow Slam or whatever is the production side of WWN that that they got this influx of cash and nothing looked that much different. Evolve was still kind of shitty looking. It was maybe a little bit better. You know, FIP was done in front of fucking gardens and <laughs> weird places, and the lighting was shit, and it was still done in really terrible and, and all that sort of stuff. All they basically bought was a tarp that said Flow slam or whatever and everything was basically the same well we look at the contract and it says here explicitly this is from again from david bix at fifo he says the contract uh also states that wm was to provide its audience a high definition stream backed by commentary and shot with two camera angles that's all that it says the requirements of wwn were high definition screen commentary check. and two camera angles check what are they high definition check high definition commentary check and two camera angles They did the two camera angles, in case you're curious. Yes, they did. Okay. I dropped Sorry. off the call for a second. Oh, yeah, you didn't say check. I was like, no, they did. I promise you. But So, I mean, they met all the demands, too. Okay. Now, did they go above and beyond? No. No. Did they do the bare minimum? Yep. Did they break the contract? Nope. Where's WWN wrong anywhere right. in this deal? And that's and that's really my big thing that I come at it is, is yes, ideally – I'm the type of person that if you gave me an influx of cash and if you said, hey, we're really banking on you guys to do this or, hey, we really believe in you. If somebody came tomorrow to Voices Wrestling and said, here's $5 million or whatever, I'm going to upgrade some shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make sure. Yeah. Because I'm that type. Of, that's the type of person I am. I'm that type of person that, that if I feel that people are invested in me, I try to give them. Well, yeah, look value, at the I incentives say. that they had. If they grew above and beyond, they were getting, um, I forget what the exact numbers were, but th- it was also an incentive based contract where if they, they helped Flow Slam grow their business, WWM was going to get a piece of that. Right. But what I'm thinking that happened was, and, and smartly so, 
the WN guys probably got in the room or, or post, you know, getting in the room with Flow Sports, got together yeah. and went, oh, my God, these guys are out of their mind. This thing is not going to work. Let's yeah. get the money that we can. We'll do yeah. the bare minimum. We'll not step on any toes because Gabe never ste- – he was still, hey, mm-hmm. William Regal's coming. Hey, Triple H is awesome. Hey, WWE, you're still great. Oh, we love the relationship we have with – he never stepped on any toes. And we mentioned at the time that he was just – he was counting the days down, counting the minutes down until this thing was going to blow up. And he was not going to invest in 45 different cameras and tarps and, and booking giant arenas. He was going to do the same shit he was going to do. And you can criticize him for that. You can criticize him for getting an influx of cash and doing absolutely nothing with it if you want. But the contract does it like he followed the contract to a T. Yeah, you know, didn't go above and beyond, which you can criticize him for that. But contractually, he didn't have to go above and beyond. He did. Exactly you know, I'll defend him a little bit from this perspective yeah, too. According to the terms of the contract, they were to invoice Flow Slam monthly. It's not like they were handed three point one four million dollars. True. Right. 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 So you know that that's the other part of it, and and you know when did they? For all we when, know, he asked, "Hey, can I have a you know a, a, you know upfront of of a mill so I can do this?" And they said, "No." You know, it, it might have happened. I doubt it did, but you know, we shouldn't assume that yeah. that didn't happen. So they're getting monthly payment payouts too. It's not as if they were getting giant lump sum balloon payments at the first of every year. They're getting paid monthly, and um, you know, honestly, In some cases, <laughs> not towards the yeah, end of it. But. Now that we see how contentious it was, who knows if they were even behind? Because there was also. Um, qualifier in in the deal i believe that said if they were more than 45 days out they had to pay a five percent surcharge right correct so um you know who knows i mean with as contentious as it was and as you know they were obviously losing money um you know i i I don't even know the wwn side has been very side very smart not to talk publicly so who knows if they were even being paid um you know that's just speculation on my part but as poor of a deal as it was and as quickly as it fell apart, it's certainly a possibility, right? Oh, for sure. You know, I just don't see any area anywhere here where WWN was at fault in any way. I just right. don't. Yeah, you can blame them for their lack of ambition in growing Flow Slam because they really didn't try all that hard to really uh, well, grow it. But try that in a courtroom. I mean, exactly. legally, right, they right. did nothing they wrong. Did everything they wanted to do. And I think I, I firmly believe that, that I, and I, again, I'm with you. I don't think those numbers are inflated because if they're inflated, they did a really shitty job of inflating themselves, yeah. adding value to themselves. Cause I would have said at eh, 4,000, whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like if I'm going to inflate, I'm not going to inflate to like 1900. That's not like, you know, I don't know. Is that really like amazing? Like those numbers, it, it, was, it was a bad deal anyway. Like right. you it, said, it was a bad deal. anyway. Right. Exactly. So it was a shit deal from the, so I'm assuming they got out of that room and they went, what the hell are these guys doing? And we knew that happened too, because the relationship with WWE was going on at the time. And we heard from people and we knew that the, the, it was essentially just like Triple H being like, oh, or, you know, the WWE, not, you know, maybe not in those words, but kind of being like, dude, go take that. <laughs> like, you'd be nuts if you don't take that. Money. Yeah. Go ahead. Like, yeah, get out of here. Like, we're not going to give you that money. Go do your thing or whatever. And we knew that this was going to come to a head at a point. And I'm sure they knew too. They're not dumb. Gabe and Sal and all the donors, they knew that at the end of the day, this thing was going to blow up because there was no way they were going to make money. There was no way this thing was going to work out. So they maybe thought, hey, we'll get to January 2018. They decided to close the option on us or whatever, or you know, exercise their their you know opt out or whatever. We get a whole nother year and then we go about and then we see whatever happens in 2019. Didn't get to that point. It was obviously well before that. But I don't know. The more I read about this, and that was this was supposed to be Flow Sports smoking gun here, is hey, here are these fraudulent numbers. I, I don't think I haven't heard a single person say, Oh wow, those numbers look ridiculous. They're if anything under what a lot of people assume. So I don't know. I this I don't think Flo's winning this. <laughs> hey, listen, I was team WWN from the start. Yeah. So yeah, this only just reconfirms to me that, uh, that, that, you know, I'm just, 
they, you know, I'm a hundred percent their side here. Yeah, it's <laughs> this is not the end of the story, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's getting kind of. There's really have to be another thing, you know what I mean? Like an obvious example of fraudulent number, an obvious example. Of I think right I think now, they're Flo getting got nothing. I think they're getting every penny. I think Flo would be wise to settle. Yeah, I think so too. Because I I I don't see the only way that they don't win is if Flo can prove that they were given fraudulent numbers, and I don't believe that the numbers are fraudulent. I believe that they're accurate. Yeah. And obviously, just you know, you know, getting out of the contract via this <laughs> is also a thing too that WWE can say. Well, hey, look, we had we had an option that you guys could do this in January 2018, not you know October of 2017 or whatever. And you know, you still had to pay us another. If anything, they negotiate that, and put, maybe they don't get the entire sum. I I would go for it because why not? Maybe they get like another year after that or whatever. But there's no there's no chance in hell that Flow isn't paying them at the end of the day something. So it's it's we'll see. I don't know as this goes on, but uh, yeah, not looking. Not looking very good for uh, old Flow Slam there. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And rest in peace, Flow Slam. So, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, all right. Uh, you want to get to uh, take over Survivor Series? I guess we should note quickly, since we were doing WWN, that they booked Dice K Sekimoto for us yes. in the weekend. Yeah. So uh, is that going to get you to New Orleans, Rich? Uh, I don't think so, because I'm going to Los Angeles. You know, you're something else, I got to tell you. <laughs> you say you blame it like it's it, okay, look. Do you want? Do you want to? Do you want to know exactly why this always happens? Yeah, you're getting dragged around on a string by that nurse of yours. That's what's I do. going on. The reason why <laughs> that it would, not false is the days off are like insanely competitive at the fucking hospital. She she tells me where do you want to go next year on vacation? I'm like I don't fucking know. It's like October. Like I need to already know where we need to go with 2019 because she has to put it on there because they only approve like eight months out. It's some ridiculous thing where they only approve certain months out. So she booked this week. You know, six months ago, as like this is Perfect. the week to take go to off. New Orleans. <laughs> I tried. I, that that was a conversation. It, it happened, but uh, it didn't work out for New Orleans. I mentioned New Orleans. She, I almost got her to Orlando. I think if it, they got to go to California, they got to go. They were some, just in Orlando. I I tried. Oh, we were going God. to Italy, you asshole. <laughs> Who needs Italy? <laughs> yeah, you would. I'd rather just go and watch wrestling. The problem too is I don't. I really don't want to drag her to any of these. Because yeah. she's not going to enjoy this. Like, let's be honest. So why don't you go her. by yourself? I'm, I'm going to be in Los Angeles, so I can't go this time. That's not a, listen, how did you let her book that weekend again? Because you thought you were going to hustle. I, don't her know, I didn't know what. How did I didn't know six months out what it was going to be? It's always going to be like the first month of April, right? The first week of weekend. No, of April, it right? changes all the time. <laughs> listen, tell her next year. Look, no April. Say, listen, toots. From the middle of March to the middle of April, don't request any of them. Because I'm going to wherever the fuck. Where is it next year? I don't know. I don't think they, have they announced it yet. Yeah, I think they did, didn't they? Or did they not? I don't. No, I, don't keep, yeah, I, I don't keep up with that shit. You know, like there's probably no, people who can tell you where they're going. I don't pay attention to any of that. Um, did, don't they announce it, or do they announce that? No, we know 2018, but yeah, I don't think we know 2019 right now. Yeah, I don't, we don't, I don't know, know the potential cities or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm going to try. Out. I'm going to get it out ahead of time. I'm, I'm going to really try this time to get it. Because um, I think Detroit has been one that's been sort of mentioned as well. So that that'd be obviously I could drive up to that. Uh, Minneapolis would be a really cool one as well if that ever happened. But no, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it. Uh, but this Sakamoto will not get me to New Orleans because unfortunately I'm going to be in another part of the country. So can't you be like, listen, oh, she got she got in a lot of trouble for this one. Don't don't worry. I uh, it took me a while to realize that that was WrestleMania weekend, and I was just like. Mm. <laughs> for a lot of reasons too like i i, I really used like this website as a reason i'm like oh, 
like Michelle, I got to put these reviews yeah. up. Like I can't be, I can't be hobnobbing around Los Angeles and California with you. I got to get, you know, this, this evolve 98 review up. I got to, you know, this <laughs> style battle. I got to get, you like, know, that's another good point. Who's going to do everything? Who's going to put this up? Like, yeah. Who's going to do everything? That's another good point. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. That's an important week. Oh, no, where she got in trouble for that. That was a, that was a weird argument that I had to have. She was like, who cares? I'm like, no, the people care. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, no I care. Hey, little Bring little a laptop and make her post it. Sounds good. Yeah. She's going to work. She's got to put the reviews up. Let yeah. her edit. Truthfully, I'm going to bring my laptop and probably put a lot of reviews up, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And then, it. you know, you know what? This, this, all right. This is how you have to play it. Well, no, you I want to go to California, though, because it's going to be fun, but that's fine. But you have to bring your laptop and you have to, you've got to do all of your duties while you're on this vacation. That's going to annoy her and piss her off. And when it does, when she explodes, you got to say, hey, listen, this is why you can't book vacations WrestleMania weekend, sweetie. And then she'll never do it again. You see? That seems like a great idea. It does sound like a great idea. No, because it's like the beginning of the vacation. I have to rest of the vacation. It's like the first few days. Like I'm leaving on that Friday, so that's not Rich, you got to take one for the team here, okay? This is the way I see it. (laughs) You got to start a fight with your wife and take one for the team. <laughs> All for this hobby that already takes too much of my time and money. Yes, you're right. That's right. right. Seat Geek is counting on you. They are. Well, speaking Dollar of Dollar Shave Club is count. Wait, did they buy more ads? No, they didn't, but we, we can mention them again. Seat Geek. Get the app, promo code VOW. $20 off your first Seat Geek. Blue Apron is counting on you. All right. Potential new sponsors, including That's the one right. we got today that we're really pumped about. We didn't get That's it today, right. but we, we heard about it today. We're pretty interested yeah. in that. But right now, There's we're always new sponsors in the kitty. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to that cigar company? They were like, hey, do you guys smoke cigars? And I'm like, no, but I will fucking promote them. I don't yeah. give a shit. I, I smoke will... cigars. I, would, I said I would smoke it and promote them. So I, I will sell anything. You smoke cigars? Uh, I'll, I'll do a cigar every so often. Really? Yeah, I won't do cigarettes. You. I won't do anything. But it's like once or twice a year. It's at, like at weddings. Because I need a reason to like get away from everybody at a wedding. Like that's the only reason I'd smoke cigars at a wedding is because like you know people are dancing the single ladies or the chicken dance or whatever. And I'm like, ah, I'm gonna go because the cigar is gonna take you like an hour and twenty minutes and you can't go in. And people are like, oh, what are you doing? I ah, smoking the cigar. You know, yada yada. It's great at weddings. It's a great way to just get away from everybody and not have to do anything. I never paid you as a cigar guy. Are you a pipe guy? I'm not a pipe guy. <laughs> no, I don't do any. Just cigars. That's the only thing I smoke. No, do you do no. hookah? I've done it before. That's all right. Do you smoke the weed? I do not. If it was legal, maybe I would try. (laughs) Right now I don't. Well, you know, the police don't listen to this. You you can say if you smoke the weed. I don't. No, I don't. I know. I I truthfully don't because I'm like terrified of getting in trouble. I'm not going to write you out. No, I don't. I swear to God, I don't. You can ask. Have you ever smoked crack? I've never smoked crack. No. No. You don't strike me as a crack guy. (laughs) Believe it or not. No. Yeah. My, uh. Do not do not smoke crack. So you never got together with the nurse. And you're like, hey, listen, let's freebase. <laughs> get this rock. Get these rocks going here. Yeah. <laughs> you grab a spoon. Let's do this thing. Let's go. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. Steal one of them Bunsen burners from work. And, uh, <laughs> I don't think they have Bunsen burners. <laughs> Where, who's nurses working Bunsen use- burners? I don't think they do. No, I don't think she uses a Bunsen burner. I think nurses use Bunsen. Burners. <laughs> Why would she use a Bunsen? What What practical purpose would a Bunsen burner do in a in a, a cardiac care unit, Joe? Tell me. I don't know. I just picture nurses using a Bunsen burner. So fucking. I think that's chemists that use Bunsen burners. I don't think nurses do. <laughs> Listen, not you know medical chemists. It's all the same, right? No, no. 
Let me see if a nurse would use a Bunsen burner. Let no, me see they don't. If, uh... You're going to look it up, and it's going to say chemistry. It's not. They, they, why would nurses use it? Unless they're like studying bacteria, maybe I think. Like I, I don't know. That's like I'm right. trying to. You got to heat it up. You know. <laughs> Here we go. Look. look. CDC. Okay. What? This is straight from the American Journal of Nursing. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. The Bunsen burner is placed under the metal ring, which is securely fastened to support. The flask likewise is clamped tightly to the ring stand. I don't know what I'm reading here. <laughs> I don't know either, but keep going. Yeah. But it's coming from the American Journal of Nursing. So there's something going on with Bunsen burners. I wasn't completely wrong here. Oh, wait, this is from a um, classic technique from the 1800s. Hold on. That's what I mean. I don't think, I don't think they've used them in quite a while. You know, okay. There's a lot of flammable things all over the place, so I don't think an open flame is a very good idea. But. Okay, this is vintage chemistry nursing textbook. <laughs> so from the vintage chemistry nursing textbook. Hold on, I think she's, she just texted me not that long ago. Let me, uh, let me give her a, a – Ask her if she uses yeah. Bunsen burners. I'm, I'm curious. All right, so settle this debate. Settle this debate. Oh God, my fat fingers are just steel. So settle this debate. Uh, have you ever should I, have you ever used a Bunsen burner at work? How, how do you want me to phrase this question so that you get the proper or that we get the proper answer we're looking for here? <coughs> oh God, you need a nurse. Are you all right? Yeah, were you with us? All right, he's good. You need a nurse. That's what I said. Oh, you're. Oh, man. Uh, do you want me to ask her, settle this debate, have you ever used a Bunsen burner at work? <clears throat> Can you ask me the Heimlich maneuver right now? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <coughs> I, could, I could slap your back, I would, Joe, but I can't because we're... Yeah, ask her if she's ever used a Bunsen burner at, at work. work. Okay. Yeah. Or in her training. Yeah, so I said, settle this debate, have you, used, uh, have you ever used a Bunsen burner at work? So, okay, I will uh, yeah. right. feverishly we'll look for my phone. Yeah, she... She's been texting, so it's obviously a slow day at the old nursing <laughs> thing. So uh, hopefully we'll get an answer soon. Uh, not at work, dot, 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 ever. Mm. Joe, not at work, dot, 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 ever. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> Jeez. She's sassy. I told you. You think I'm sassy. You yeah, you I mean, talk God, I mean, you know. I mean, she's, never upset her. she's gonna get upset about it. She's gonna talk about this tomorrow and be like very She's upset. never used one in high school? I mean, I don't understand. In chem class, dot, 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 yes. There you go. No, the chemistry class is not nursing. Yeah, but she said ever, and I'm like, no, that can't be right. Everyone no, and not at work ever as a nurse. In chemistry class as a student, she used it. No, There's yeah, I understand that, but. <laughs> no, you don't. We just had this. Okay. <laughs> you, you've really done it you, now. You've really done it now, Joe. I'm in a lot of trouble. If what you Google, if you Google Bunsen burner nurse, there's plenty of entries. I'm telling you, I'm not making it up. She says, what the fuck would I light on fire at work? <laughs> All I'm saying is, I wasn't off base. Bunsen <laughs> no, you burners. Were. You were absolutely off base. Bunsen burners are associated with nursing. I, I you know. No, they're not. They're associated with chemistry. They're going to do this listen. show and not anything else. That, like any sort of. Obviously, we did not do well in. Uh, any sort of science based. I don't know about you. Definitely not. I was horrible at everything science. That's why I. So was uh, I. Math and science, forget it. Yeah. But all of the listeners have already Googled Bunsen burner nurse and they're seeing what I'm seeing. It's, they're seeing it's, like 1800s. Like, yes, phrenology was a thing, but that's, it doesn't mean the that she's. The first entry now. is from the American Journal of Nursing, which. 
I believe you have a fresh copy of that next to your toilet. No, I have. I uh, no, it was uh, what was the one that I had? Nursing Today or something? Yeah, like no, it was the Nursing Observer. What the hell was that called? You were you were curious because they had like hot takes and it. It, it was a nursing tree. Yeah, it was a nursing yeah. tree. Yeah, it actually journal. has reviews of like catheters and like stethoscopes or whatever. Like yeah. she showed me because she wanted like a new stethoscope for Christmas. She's like, hey, look at this one. Like it got like four point five out of five stars or whatever. So I'm like, all right, there you go. Like so, it is yeah. the Dave Meltzer of nursing, you know. Talk about the business end of you know hospital management or something like that. The draw at a at a hospital, but no, it's it, it does exist. So, mm-hmm. so I said I, I said don't yell at me. I agree with you. You know, uh, you know, do our intro, and she says I know it was directed at Lanza, so she knew that you were the dumbass in this case, and that you were wrong. So, well, listen, I've got Google to back me up. <laughs> don't you tell me you have eighteen hundred? She also doesn't use leeches. In the you can probably look up leeches in nursing, and it's going to come up. That doesn't mean that she uses leeches at work. <laughs> right? I like don't know. By your, by your, by she, your theory, if it ever existed, it still exists, which is not. I don't think. I don't know about that, about that logic. Uh, look, look, are are you are you telling me the American Journal of Nursing is not <laughs> a reputable never, no, publication? Never, no. Very reputable publication. Well, then that's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm reading it right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something for ice compresses here. Let me see. <laughs> Go on. You, you you just will not dig out of this hole. You just will not admit. Th- Google it. <laughs> I did. It's all old. All I'm saying is it's not absurd to associate Bunsen burners with nurses because I, clearly at some point they were using Bunsen burners. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I wasn't totally off so. on that one. I, I, I guess. Yeah, if you. The Manual of Nursing. We got the uh, Vintage Chemistry Nursing textbook. Vintage Chemistry Nursing. (laughs) All right, that one's not good for my argument, I'll admit. No, that's not great. The Handbook of Veterinary Nursing. Oh, there you go, yeah. Have you ever taken your daughter to the vet and then bust out the Bunsen burner? I got to be honest, I've never seen a Bunsen burner. I think he's he's been coughing and puking and, all right, let's get the Bunsen burner out and see what's going on here. Maybe you got to warm something up, I don't know. Yeah, you you might have worms, let's... Let's put her stomach over the butts and burn and see what happens. Like, wasn't warm it up a crisscross song? You know, I don't know their entire catalog. I know Jump and um, Warm It Up. Same album. <laughs> was it? Yeah. That was more your uh, your your era. Was that when they were like the cool? Because Crisscross started out as like obviously the kids, but then they like evolved later. No, no, no. The, so this the, is still in the prime. The song Warm It Up, I believe, is on the same album. As jump. Oh yeah, this is the, the famous. Yeah, they're wearing the uh, the big jackets. They're wearing like huge puffy jackets with pants backward. You know, of course, because they're crisscross. So yeah, I'm talking right. about. I forgot what it was. They they later came out with like, like they tried to be like you know okay that was us before but now we're real. You know what I mean? Like yeah, now they're dead. Well, one of them's dead, right? Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, one I of them's dead. Family was dead, so I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm the, probably the wrong example to give about the. Uh, history of the okay sure okay we got, a, got about a half an hour left to go so let's uh let's quickly get over take over here um yeah that happened a few weeks ago and people saw it i thought it was a good show i think you thought it was a good show as well oh take over <laughs> yeah, there you go all right yeah it was a good show okay yeah it's really I think hard it was to review the, a show uh, from two weeks ago that nobody cares about but i think people they listen they want our opinion right no, you don't think they want our opinion? <laughs> Sometimes. 
<laughs> we, we wrap this up. Um, I no, think no, that, no. They, uh, do. they do. We always get that. We're always like, nobody cares what we think, and everybody does care what we think. So I don't think – I think it was the first takeover that didn't, like, have a truly great match. Is that a hot take? Um, No, I don't think so because I'm kind of going through the matches now, and I'm kind of remembering everything was good. Really good. But I don't know that there was anything that I would say, oh, yeah, that you've got to go out of your way to see. Like, and when, when I heard people saying, hey, should I watch TakeOver? I said, yeah. And, they, and it wasn't like, yeah, because you have to see X. It was just like, yeah, good show. Good two hours mm-hmm. of your time. That's it. Like, the, my favorite match of the entire night was probably the scene almost Drew McIntyre. That was, you know, good, but not, I wouldn't say, like, go out of your way and watch it. Great. It's very good. And I like the Aleister Black Velveteen Dream match a lot, but again, that's not one that I would be like, "Oh, dude, you cannot the your year cannot end until you see that match." I don't think. Yeah, I'll so tell I think, you what, I think right. a lot of people. Agree, I think a lot of people would say that that match got a lot of hype. Yeah, and I like it a lot, but I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite at that level. I think Velveteen Dream, um, well exceeded my personal expectations. I kind of oh, buried God, it two weeks ago. Um, I said I wasn't really into seeing the match at all. Um. He was way better than I thought he was going to be, but I do think he's getting way overhyped. Um, he's still noticeably green, which is okay. I mean, it is developmental. It's two fucking years into his career. I mean, yeah, it's going to be. Um, the gimmick doesn't do as much for me as it does for other people. Um, but but the match was way better than I thought it was going to be for sure. Uh, in fact. I would venture to say it was one of the better Tommy End singles matches I've ever seen. Because Tommy End is not a great singles wrestler. Yeah, he doesn't jump off this. the page for me much as a singles guy either. He's, he's, he's got a great aura, and he obviously is getting a big push, and he's got a great gimmick, and he presents himself well, and I think he could be a star. But I talked about this with Rob Reed from the Brit Wrestling Roundtable one time. He really isn't a great singles wrestler. And he doesn't have a catalog of, of a bunch of like awesome singles matches. He's a guy who you can't really take your eyes off him, and he has good matches. And I think all of his NXT matches have been interesting. But he's not a guy where you think he's a four and a half star machine. You know, there may have been one or two Evolve matches that he had. Again, that's another guy that was part of that Evolve thing in, in 2016. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, when they were just loaded. Yeah, that's going to be a um, roster. Like you said, we're going to go back and look at that roster in 10 years and be like, Jesus Christ, man. They had like, you know, yeah. just a, C- Cedric well, Alexander. Yeah, right. Um, like Cedric Alexander was just know. a guy on the roster. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just, you know, yeah. So, and they were really peaking at that time. Um, but yeah, he's he's not a, you know, so that's one of the better Tommy. There's probably an evolved match I'm forgetting. Um, but that was one of the better Tom, uh, you know, Tommy N matches that I've ever seen. Uh, Velveteen Dream, I am not as much into him as some other people are. I get why people are. Um, but yeah, I, t- I will say this much. I am way more interested in Velveteen Dream now than I was before the match. And um, you know, I will admit that I was underselling it um, you know, before the match occurred. But I don't think it was like any kind of like spectacular match or anything. Because I've seen a lot of over-the-top praise for it. I thought it was a really good match. I thought it was probably <sighs> probably the best match on the show. Um, I thought a lot of the matches were very close. I thought it was very close to seeing all Miss Drew McIntyre match. I thought the women's four way was right in that neighborhood too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a cluster at times, but um, it's a four way. It's going to be wild and crazy. And and then war games, you know, your mileage will vary. But I think um, 
Oh, I'd say those yeah. people that had this at like surefire match of the year, which I, I, to me, my least favorite match on the entire show, and that's relatively so. I still enjoyed it, but I think it's it's fourth among my favorite matches. I mean, I, I even like the Lars Cassie Sono match. Maybe I mean that one's hard to judge because it's only five minutes and it was essentially just an extended extended squash. But of the matches that were given time, the Black Dream, uh, the, the, the women's four way, and the All Miss McIntyre on War Games, I put War Games, you know, behind all those. I would too because War Games had a long period of time where nothing happened. I thought, you know, it's interesting. I thought the most interesting part of War Games was the weapons scrum when they introduced the weapons to the match. Guys were just bludgeoning each other with weapons and putting each other through tables. And Alexander Wolf is bleeding like a stuck pig. And, um, you know, it's just. Well, this you love your accident on blood. So that was, that was right up your alley then because that it's was. This crazy wild ball. That's when it was fun. And then for 15 minutes, nothing happened. And then it became the Adam Cole show and you might as well just put me to sleep at that point. Yeah, I just I'm, do not I'm, care I'm not, about I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing the, I don't get it. I just think Adam Cole stinks and I'm, I'm just going to do that now. I, I'm, I'm done doing the, I just don't get it or maybe I'll get it or something. He just stinks. I don't like the guy. He's boring as shit. Like, I don't know. There's nothing yeah. that, there's nothing that does it for me. I, I, I fell asleep and had to rewatch this match. I was, I was like, why did I fall asleep during that? It made no sense. I had to go back and rewatch the entire thing. And, and, and then awake, I was just like, yeah, I, I know why I fell asleep because Adam Cole's just can control him. This is, he never does a thing for me. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you in terms of when the match kind of peaked and stuff. And I agree, it was the weapon scrum. And that's the issue that I had with all of the war games, even from the old ones that you watch, is that that first part. So some people are pretty cool because it's like a guy getting in the ring, getting beat up. But when you're watching it, you know, out of context, when you don't necessarily care that much about the feuds, it's just a long wrestling match with no stakes until everybody gets in the ring. Right. And that's the issue is it's like, yeah, it's great that Vader's beating the fuck out of Dustin Rhodes, but it doesn't, I don't really care. And then it's, you know, in another five minutes, a guy's going to walk in and then that guy's going to, you know, they're going to double team Vader. And then, and then the odds are going to be set. And then like, you're watching all this stuff, but nothing ever matters until everybody gets in the ring. And then it's like, all right, let's go. And some of those War Games matches capitalized on that, and others just, you know, sucked. <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell a cohesive story in a match that's like that because the only story you can really tell is the heels always have a one-up advantage. Right. Until everyone gets in the ring, and then you tell whatever blow-off story you're going to tell with, you know, because ideally it's a blow-off match, um, or at least it was, you know, when it was, you know, in the late 80s or whatnot. So it's a hard, it, but it's hard to tell a cohesive story from a beginning of a match like that to the end, other than, well, the heels won the coin flip. Um, and this was just, the rules were just so bizarre with the three teams and uh, you know what I mean? It's, um, but yeah, I, I thought it, it was, it was uh, very uninteresting for a long period of time. And then if you're not into Adam Cole, you weren't going to be into the finish with him. He was up on top of that cage for seemingly 10 minutes. I know it was probably a lot shorter amount of time than that, but that's what it felt like. And then, um, you know, they do the big spot with the superplex or whatever with, uh, with Roderick Strong. And, you know, I, 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 I'll be honest, I don't even remember the first elimination. I don't even remember how it occurred. So the match didn't even make a huge impact on me. It's only been a week and a half later. I don't remember the first elimination. Um, so, yeah, I didn't think it was a bad match, but... And I think everybody works hard, and that's admirable. And you know how I feel about hard work. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. No, everybody, and I think everybody people put their, their bodies on the line, you know, and, and everyone worked hard, but it just wasn't. It was, it was, it's such a hard match to talk about 
Because I didn't dislike it. Right, and there's going to be a lot of people that it, a lot of it's going to be your traction, your your investment in the story, and that's always with these war games matches. It's always with a lot of these, a lot of stipulation matches are all if you're invested in the story and you really care about the stakes, and 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 this is sort of a, the plunder style of a match is something that you really like, and the the cage really enhances it, and the old school feel of it being a war game. If that's all important to you, then yes, I could see how this match is going to be more. But for me, none of that stuff was important, so I was like, all right, let's go, let's be entertained. And I wasn't when it was all said and done. I wasn't that entertained by it, so. But I saw people I say it was their match of the year, so I, I don't know. Like it's well, here's the thing. I think part of the problem was what we talked about two weeks ago. There was what were the state like I don't feel like any of these people really hate each other that much. Right. The yeah. build Roger was Strong too short. Kind of annoyed that Undisputed, you know, Undisputed Era wanted Roderick Strong to join. He said no and they beat him up. Yeah, this <laughs> isn't like- your typical horseman versus whoever they're feuding with war games match where it's been built for a year. You know, it's like it got built over the course of one NXT taping, and these feuds weren't all that heated. And there's three teams involved. To me, it was just nine guys in a cage. Mm-hmm. And it was built around the least interesting guy in the cage. So for me, that's where the match kind of fell flat for me, despite the fact that everybody worked hard and there were some cool things. And um, I guess, I mean, there's really wasn't a big memorable spot that I'm going to remember forever. No, other, other than that for superplex. You. Yeah, the superplex, but that's it. I mean, that's, I've seen that a million times though. I mean, I'm not like, I wasn't amazed at that superplex spot or anything like that. And I, I don't know. It was okay. I, I, I didn't hate it. It was a, it was a, it was okay. It was, it was a good match. Even the highlight video on the most recent NXT, the one that had the done Gargano was like, even watching the highlight video was just like, okay, like, you know what I mean? Like it didn't even watching that, even with the best of the best, I was just like, yeah, it looked like an all right match, whatever. Like, I, you know, I thought Dunn and Gargano blew that match away. I thought Dunn and Gargano was the best match on the entire night. Dunn and Gargano. Yes, I agree. was better than any match on takeover. I, I completely agree. Yeah. I, I Dunn and Gargano to me was, uh, was just, uh, I want to use that old Meltzer line, two pros working at a different level. You know, it was just, oh man, to me, Johnny Gargano has been, he's the WWE wrestler of the year, in my opinion. When you consider the tag work early in the year with against both uh, the Revival before they moved up and the Authors of Pain before the, the DIY broke up and then the single stuff ever since. I mean, to me, Johnny Gargano, not only does he grade out with more four-star plus matches than anybody else on the roster for me personally. But when I think about the year in WWE, to me, he's been the best worker in the company this year. I think because AJ Styles was so... He was never bad, but there was a long period of time where AJ Styles was not standing out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't like... It was just he never had really the capacity to have great. This was not a great AJ Styles year. No, it wasn't a great year for anybody in WWE, to be honest. No, we talked about that at length. It's like, go come up with your WWE match of the year list. It's like, okay. And it's like, there's like, to me, Gargano was, yeah, their not many. Wrestler, uh, was the best wrestler in the company. And to me, Pete Dunne was the best wrestler match for match in the company. Because he delivered every, nearly every single match he was in was four stars or higher. Every match that hit TV was, was four stars. Like, almost all of them were four stars. He averaged over four stars for me. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, he was great. And, yeah. and the thing that I love about him, too, is the crowd reaction when he comes out, people fucking, there's a reaction with him. You know what I mean? Like he feels special. He really does. Right. He he really does. And, and and, yeah, and and it's hard to really put your finger on. And I remember when I went to NXT takeover Chicago, I was like, ah, I wonder if people are going to know these UK guys. Dunn came out and that place fucking exploded. People 
and I was I was amazed at how like he just has this connection to people in one way or another, whether you like him or hate him. There's a connection there, and it's 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 pretty interesting to see, and it's it's well beyond what I expected him to ever have in WWE. So it's a testament to what he's been able to do, and I guess a testament in a little ways to sort of how they've used him because he's not been a normal guy. He still kind of feels like a special attraction a lot of times, and that's good. That's I I think that's not a bad style for him. He, you know, it probably helps that he's not overexposed. That's true. The other thing about him is he does have the advantage of when he does wrestle, it's an important match and he's in there with a good opponent. So, right. oh, yeah. you know, if Pete Dunn was part of the roster and he's wrestling on, you know, SmackDown every week and he happens to be in a feud with Jinder Mahal, you know, he's not going to be the best match for match, you know, wrestler in the company. But I'm just grading him on, look, I got to grade what has, has occurred. I can't go on hypotheticals. Um, but he does have that advantage for sure. And I think the NXT wrestlers to some extent have that advantage too. When you get to the main roster, you have to have those eight minute raw matches that aren't designed to be great matches. You have to have those matches against guys that aren't top tier workers. Uh, you know, you have to have those uh, pay-per-view matches that are telling a story as opposed to designed to be a great match. So you have sort of those things working against you. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, when the dust settles to use every cliche in the book, to me, Johnny Gargano was the best wrestler in the company this year. Pete Dunne was the best wrestler match for match. They'd be my number one and two. I'd give Gargano the edge only because he was there on a you know night-in, night-out basis as opposed to Dunne, who was a part-timer. But they got in the ring together on this show. And yeah, I agree. It was, it was a, the best match on what was a very good show because everything else was very good. I gave four stars to... Four stars even to uh, the other three matches that we talked about. The Black Dream match, the, the women's four-way, and the Almas-McIntyre match. Now, the Almas-McIntyre match, Rich... McIntyre got hurt at the end, but, and it was a good match and had a ton of heat. And uh, I loved, you know, the crowd was super into it. I thought it was a little sloppy though. I, I you know, I don't want to say it was like uh, to the point where it ruined the match, but there were a bunch of moments in this match where these guys weren't really on the same page. And it kind of took me out of it briefly. Um, the other thing that bothers me about this match is, you know, CN Almas may be the champion, but we all know he's not the star of that act. Um, you know, clearly the valet is the star of the act. And, you know, she got the big pop when she came into the ring, when Almas was, uh, you know, uh, outside the ring, distracting the ref. And she gave the Hurricane Rana to McIntyre and smashed his head into the mat. And get, that got the biggest pop of the, of the match. And um, I thought Drew McIntyre was the weakest NXT champion since probably it's been a network product. Um, I don't think he had a good run. Um, it just didn't, he just didn't feel special like other NXT champions have. And I think um, I, I'm not as into Almas as other people are. I mean, you know, I hate to be the downer here. I, I was the downer on Velveteen Dream. I'm going to be the downer on Almas to an extent. Um, you know, I think the repackaging has revived him. But with that said, I don't think he's been, he's the re- he's not the star of the act. She is. How do you feel about that? Do you think I'm off base? Yeah. I'm, I- I think to an extent, I think one of the, she absolutely is. I, I think I, I don't really going to make no bones about it. I mean, she is absolutely transformed that character, transformed him. I think that is sort of, I'm trying to give credit to, to 